Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Jim Cornette Experience, where today AEW television goes from the penthouse to the outhouse. Will the bloodline get a transfusion at SummerSlam? And our favorite weasel, Colin Thompson, is about to be drained of his blood in a court of law. All that and more today, and joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. He makes more money than Warren Buffett, but he records more hits than Jimmy Buffett. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. And just to clarify, it may be multiple courts of law, not just one court. It may be well, multiple that, courts in multiple places. We're uncovering civil, potentially, and or criminal, allegedly, charges and complaints and registrations of ill will against our favorite weasel. We're going to talk about that today, but we were not the first ones. Ladies and gentlemen, we found out to get the idea to sue this guy. His own employees have beaten us to it. More on that later on. But anyway, I'm sweating. I'm sweating, as, as Candido and Tammy used to say, because they were from New Jersey. You don't say it like that. Sweating. I'm not from New Jersey. Well, you're from New York. It's the same thing, practically. It's not the same thing. I'm from Long Island, which is a very different thing, and I live now in northern New Jersey. It's two counties over. Come on. Uh, you ought to be that. saying you ought to be saying sweating. I thought sweatin'. you were doing a British impersonation when you did it the first time. No, then you said it was always, Candido and Tammy. Yes, the, the New Jersey, they would say, Oh, I'm sweating. Sweating. Instead of sweating. How often were they saying this that it made such an impact on In you. the summertime in Tennessee, quite Oh, that's often. true. I was there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was there. Well, I wasn't even there. It was Owen. But nevertheless, today <laughs> is another hot one in Louisville, Kentucky. The past three days, the heat index has been between 105 and 110 in the general locations around town. But the record that I've seen on last night's weather uh, broadcast was 113. The high heat index yesterday in the Metro Louisville area, the dew point, I know everybody's waiting to find out about this, the dew point in Elizabethtown, just 40 miles south here, was 82 yesterday. That is, I think, I've heard, I've heard conflicting uh, reports, but that is either one degree or two degrees lower than the all-time record recorded dew point in the state of Kentucky. And you just go out and it's like being slapped with a sponge. The record low high temperature. Did you get that one, Brian? The record high low, I should say. Sky high low? No. Oh. Sky high lee and sky low low. That's right. But no, the record, the record high low temperature, the hottest it's ever been the coldest at a particular day, was, was, was just recorded. 82 degrees was our low and the heat index with the low, I think Thursday night, was 90 degrees. So that's how cool it got overnight. It felt like 90 degrees. Hey, someone's calling you. Hey, it's, it's, it's Nats Mark Weinberg from WDRB, the weather guy. He's calling to get the latest news because I've got all the, the scoops. I got weather radar installed in the house. Did I tell you about that? You didn't tell me about that, no. Well, I figured instead of watching TV all the time, because now I've become a weather junkie, so I just went ahead and got the Doppler people to come over and put the weather radar in the house. And now I can watch my own. And when it changes colors, it's really cool. 
I mean, you're being funny here, but I actually have a serious question about this, and you kind of made a comment in the past that you do watch the Weather Channel. There are people who watch the Weather Channel all day. Well, I don't watch the Weather Channel. I watch our weather on our local channel every chance I get. I think the previous time I asked you, do you watch the Weather Channel, you said, yes, I watch the Weather Channel. <laughs> well, no, I watch, the, I watch the weather on the channel here That's about the my weather. I don't care what the weather is like in Dubuque. Well, there are people that just watch the Weather Channel, the National Weather Channel, all day, and I don't understand why. No, I don't care about that. I watch the channel with my weather on it. Do you feel an attachment to your weatherman or weatherwoman? Yeah, well, the weatherman. Actually, but H Hannah Strong, she's a, uh, she, I think she's off on maternity leave now. I thought she was just gaining weight, but it came on quickly, so it looks like it's a medical issue to me. But uh, Mark, Mark Weinberg is the head guy. But uh, but no, Mark Weinberg and his team, you got Jude Redfield, you know, all, all of the uh, uh, Bryce, the young man, he's the junior weather forecaster on the team now. He's very young, but he's very bright and they keep us up to date. <laughs> and Mark Weinberg is he's, he does he does astronomical photography. He's he's been a storm chaser. He does all kinds of the weather and the meteoro meteorological predictions he's he's a he's a big weather nerd we love him down here what do you think of the trend and i think it started in a lot of the latin american countries at least the, i think i first saw it coming out of like mexico and stuff what weather no but then we started seeing in america hiring like the really super hot weather woman in the tight outfit and they turned it aside and their ass just sticks all the way out what kind of off-brand outlaw mud show TV channels are you watching up there? Channel 11. <laughs> You'd think in New York they would have goddamn serious weather people. No, they do, but I'm saying we don't really have it here like I've seen it like uh, when I go down to Florida, like in Miami, for instance. Well, Florida, they got to have something to take their mind off the weather down there. It fucking sucks. Everybody talk, oh, I want to move to Florida for the weather. Yeah, it's 100 fucking degrees nine months out of the year, and it has a thunderstorm every day between 3 and 3.30. But what do you think about the idea of the weather person being a gorgeous woman as opposed to, you know, the Al Roker or uh, the Al Roker? Al Roker? The Al Roker or uh, what was the other guy's name? Joe? Oh, I forget the other guy's name. It was on um, CBS. Oh, what about Willard Scott? Yeah, I was never a big Willard fan. Well, he did weather. He was also the first Ronald McDonald. Well, that's because of his expanding girth from eating fucking quarter pounders they had to work out a fucking deal with him part barter part fucking cash but i don't care what the i don't care if it's a weather man or a weather woman as long as they know something about the weather i don't know that what was uh aj lee's famous line talent is not sexually transmitted i you know i don't know if if i just want the big tatas without the fucking dew point statistics I can see the big tatas on YouTube and it, and it, it and I won't die of a fucking tornado outbreak because I wasn't warned because I was staring at her fucking Oreolas. No one is saying you're going to get less weather reporting due to the gorgeousness of whatever weather caster well, you Well, you're had. talking about having some fucking bimbo out here. I didn't say bimbo. You... The dew point from the fucking temperature. Yeah, and, and and who knows how is, is hail going to be the size of her left breast? How is she going to Report this news. I don't want to be distracted from, from life-saving information that I may be given by local broadcasting authorities. What do you think about stations that do want people, obviously, to be distracted by the weather or from the weather by these women? Well, that means they're probably some kind of cast media production and they don't know what they're doing and they've got to distract the viewers from the fact that they're giving out false information. Huh.
see? So I'd rather have a fucking homely guy with a fucking missing tooth give me the weather than some fucking gorgeous blonde with outrageous upper frontal protuberances and fucking hindquarters that could float a battleship. Okay, but you had no real reason for it. You just... I, I, I want you're prejudiced against good-looking women. I want the information. They shouldn't have a job, is what you're saying. Well, if, if they're hired solely because of their appearance, is the point well, that I didn't make, say that. The, I didn't well, say Well, you insinuated it. You inseminated it. If there's 10,000 weathercasters looking for work, and yeah. out of the 10,000 equally qualified with the top weathercaster from whatever institute gives them their grades or whatever the fuck happens. Yeah, from the American Society of Meteorological fucking hoity-toities. That's right. If let's say out of ten thousand, just a, make this up. Out of just pull yeah. it out of your ass. Just completely fucking make this out of whole cloth. Let's say a third are gorgeous, and a third will potentially be gorgeous, and a third will be in stock. Would you not hire the third that are gorgeous just because they're gorgeous? Wait a minute, the third will be stock. Are you comparing them to cattle? These people look like cows now. Not here, not in the New York. Why, why area. wouldn't you say a third are gorgeous, a third are average, and a third are ugly as a mud fence? Well, there we go. Then you've got a clear distinction. In that case, I'm going with the ugly guy. Because he needs love, too. And he'll probably try harder. Should a weathercaster have a gimmick or a personality that's uh, over the top? Well, yes, you've got to have, just like your local car dealers and your local appliance salesmen, you've got to have your local wacky weatherman. So that's that's part of local television. There's a commercial here in town for River City Flooring, and they've got the greatest jingle. Have I have I sung it to you? I'd like to sing it to you again. Okay. River City Flooring, it's River City Flooring. Beautiful, stylish flooring. They paid for that. They paid you for that? They no, they paid somebody to do that. They should just pay you. They've been playing it for years. How long did that take to write? River City Flooring, it's River City Flooring, beautiful, stylish flooring. <laughs> How much do you think they got paid for that? I don't know, but I've, I've maybe I'm in the wrong business. Do you I get a royalty? Do you get a royalty every time that airs on local TV? I think it's a work for hire. Uh -huh. uh. Speaking of jingles and songs and sad songs, guess who's dead, Brian? Well, you already know. Randy Meisner of the Eagle, the original Eagle. I was going to say Reggie? No, Reggie's later, and he's been dead for a while. But no, you sent me a nice little article, a little piece. Who wrote that that you sent me on Randy Meisner? And a lot of people know him now. That's Bob Lefsetz, and I've been reading his stuff since I was, you know, starting Bob out at Lefschitz. Sony. Bob Lefsetz, and he does an industry newsletter, and he also, it's mostly just his opinion, but, you know, if you are in the industry, sometimes you pick up a thing or two in there. Well, anyway, it was a nice little piece on Randy Meisner, but he's dead. 77 years old. I wouldn't have thought he was that, that much older than me. He, he was so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. When I was 11 years old, he didn't look at a day over 21. Come to find out, he was going on 26. What do you got to say about Randy Meisner? Very talented guy. I mean, I guess if we're going to talk about it, it's an interesting story. His biggest hit was take it to the limit, and he hated doing the falsetto, which caused problems with him and Glenn Fry, and maybe him and the rest of the band. What everyone wanted to hear in the song that he sang, he just decided he didn't want to do it every night. <laughs> <laughs> ah 
But then Timothy B. Schmidt came in, and he's you got the voice him. of an it's angel. Ridiculous. I love him. He's a great guy. If there was ever a man you were going to run away with, it's him. You bring him up more than any other hey, singer all the stop time. Stop it. Me and, me and Timothy had a thing going on. We both knew it was wrong, but it was much too strong to let it go until he died. See, on the Jim Cornette drinking game, you brought Billy Paul into it. I think that's like three shots. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> all right. Anyway, Randy, we're sorry we barely knew ye. And I still say Hearts on Fire is the greatest single hit by a an ex-Eagle. Fuck Glenn and Don. Goddamn, they should have paid more attention to Randy. But now you that you've brought that up, what, what were you going to say? You don't like You Belong to the City? I didn't say I didn't like it. But it's not as peppy as Hearts on Fire. Boys it was a peppy song. Boys of Summer. Boys of Summer was was a more of a morose peppiness rather than a peppy peppiness. A morose peppiness. It was a morosely peppy song. <laughs> it had a driving beat, but a morose uh, undertone underneath it. Yeah. There's nobody on the street. It, it, I feel it in the air. That sounds great. The summer's out of reach. It's very morose. But anyway, speaking of the drinking game, did you see this drinking game thing on Twitter now that you brought it up? I don't even have it in front of me. There was 17 points <laughs> to where if, if one of us says or does a certain thing, people are supposed to take a drink. And it, if you did this to any of our, any of our podcasts at all, you would, you, would, you would die. You would be alcohol poisoned about 45 minutes in. I didn't realize we had so many regular things that we say or refer to or whatever the case. Conan! Conan! Dope! See, right there, someone's drunk. Hey, Derek! <laughs> now they're wasted. And then, and, and if I start singing, then they're going to go into a fucking coma. I wish I was wasted. Uh, but, and then people have started to add stuff. And then, then it's become a whole thing now. So if, if anybody wants, I guess we should have all the cult get together and vote on these things. Except if, if, we, if we were to set it up and everything, then we'd have to keep track of counting the votes and organizing this whole thing, and we got other shit to do. So y'all handle it on your own. Well, well, since Randy's dead... <laughs> I guess we yeah. might as well go into Reggie's Corner. Reggie's Corner. We're here to talk about your good boys and girls. Reggie's Corner. We're so sorry they're dead now. Oh, right. uh, you know, Matt, Matt, Matt O'Donnell, he's so, he's so cursed. Morosely peppy. Morosely peppy is that song. Um, and I'm, I've got to say, we've gotten so many. You just sent me like a bunch of emails that were dedicated to Reggie's Corner. I haven't even had time to go through yet. And of course, I'm hundreds and hundreds of emails. I've just started picking just at random, just clicking on things, see what I get, because there's no way I'm ever going to catch up with everything. But folks, but with some have come through. But we apologize if yours has not. It's still May sometime, but. We get, we give no promises here because we're deluged. It's if I didn't know any better, I'd say there's some kind of plague circulating amongst our animal friends because so many, but I get with our number of listeners, this just statistically, this has to be fairly true, I guess. Anyway, 
Uh, Greg, don't know where he's from. I, I, I believe it's somewhere in northern Indiana, but I don't want to pigeonhole him. He didn't say here. I don't know where he's from, but if I had to pick any place, I would say well, northern no, I Indiana. Well, no, I've, I've, I've had correspondence <laughs> and dealings with Greg. But uh, anyway, he lost his 12-year-old schnauzer, Max. Max was diagnosed with cancer a few weeks ago, and Greg says he was the sweetest schnauzer you'd ever meet. He'd sit in my lap and watch wrestling, and at Christmas time, he was fascinated with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on TV. So, Greg, we're sorry to hear about Max. And and then also, we got a, from Phil in the City of Angels, wanted to submit their dog, Baby, for Reggie's Corner. She was a Westie Poo mix and graced the earth for 13 wonderful years. And he says, while she loved belly rubs, treats, and being carried like a human baby, she adored listening to Jim and Brian. Her tail would wag and her snout perk up. Whenever we would discuss Harley's pee songs, Jim answering listener questions, and her favorite, the reviews of AEW. I guess that, you know, dogs know. While Baby was a big fan of CM Punk and would run toward the TV when he came on, her least favorite wrestler was John Moxley. Anytime he would saunter to the ring, Baby would put her paw in front of her face and run away from the television. So anyway, Phil, we're sorry to that hear about be, Baby. I mean, it's funny, but that can't be real. I'm, I'm telling you what it can be. If you, to this day, if you allow in my TV room, on my stereo quadraphonic speakers, the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey to be played, I don't know why anybody would play that rotten, awful fucking movie, the soundtrack of the spaceship sounds and things and the groaning and droning irritates Harley's bad, she'll leave the room. So if 2001 can do it to Harley, then I would think that Moxley can do it to a wide variety of the animal kingdom. Anyway, Zion from Richmond, Virginia, one of, I have to, we have to acknowledge now one of the, the smaller members of the animal kingdom on July 23rd. One of the smallest cult members passed away, his sister's hamster, Tito. And so Zion from Richmond, we're sorry to hear about Tito. We love all the little furry friends, small and large. Um, Robert from Milwaukee, and this was bad. He had two Cocker Spaniels that he lost over the last two months. Bentley passed in April and his brother Chocolate at the end of June. They were both 12 years old. And we want to recognize them. That's terrible. Brothers and family members and at the same time. And you know, that can happen. Because they get so attached to each other when one goes, you know, the other one just is morose after that. That happens with senior citizens sometimes, they say. Well, yeah, but that's people. I'm not so sympathetic about that. But the puppy. You're not even sympathetic about old people? Well, how old are they? 95. Okay. All right. 90. Okay. 85. You're pushing it. I'm now. trying to figure out where your limit is. What is the age that's, you know, they get past the point where you could be mad at them? Well, most, you know, it's not unusual to be loved by anyone. No, it's not unusual <laughs> anymore to, to fucking live to be 80, 85 years old. When you get up to 90, that's still. Uh, if I saw somebody 90 years old, I would help them cross the street. Whether they wanted to go or not, they'd what, be fucking crossing that street. 
if when you become a little old man, you need an aide. Wait a minute. What when I become a can I be a big old man? Do I have to shrink too? I think you're gonna shrink. You have to. Especially in that Louisville era. I don't know how bad it is. But if you had an aide, do you think you'd be nice to the aide? Or do you think you'd be like just a mean old man with a cane, like hitting her? Oh, it's it's a her? Oh, how old is she? You want a male aide? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying anything against that, but around here, I didn't know what my options were. Feels like every aide I see is like a, you know, a woman. That's why I say that. Well, how old is she? I don't know. How old are you? Well, do I have to help her across the street? No, she's there to help you. Oh. Well, in that case, I could think of a few things she could help me with. You see, this got really inappropriate for no good reason. I'd probably be nice. If it was some fucking... Putz named Tits McGee, some guy helping me, I'd probably be a prick to him because I wouldn't want him there to begin with. I'd want to be doing all that shit. I don't think anyone has ever thought, with your many references, that Tits McGee on the show that it could possibly be a man. Oh, yeah, that, no, Tits McGee is a guy. Tits McGee is a guy? Yeah, he's, he's Scott McGee's cousin. Really? Yeah. So Jim, his real name is Tits Ports? It, well, no, 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 for heaven's sake. It's Tits is just a nickname. Ah. His real name was Mamory. So Jim from West Columbia, South Carolina, was originally from New Milford, New Jersey. And for your reference, Brian, that's near Hackensack. Okay, I know where it is. All right. Unfortunately, um, he says, I'm sad to report my good boy Gus has passed away. We had him for 11 of his 15 years and saved him from being killed by a friend's neighbor back in 2012. I'd like to know what happened to that neighbor and if that outcome was happy. Uh, anyway. A friend's neighbor. Yeah. Fuck this guy. But he was one of those dogs, all black and looked mean, but was the sweetest dog ever. And his buddy, our 12-year-old Jack Wawa Summer, a Jack Wawa, Summer misses him terribly. Baba Wawa. Well, that's a, a Jack. What would be? What would that be? A Jack Russell Terrier and Chihuahua mix? A lot of these, a lot of these dogs are interbreeding the species. Some of these things you wouldn't think would be necessarily what? proper mixes. Well, the species is that they're dogs. They're canine. Well, the the, the breeds is is that technically if if a if a Dalmatian has sexual congress with a schnauzer, does is that interspecies of some description? Is that is that against the dog no. code? Are they forced to do these things, or is it is it is it somehow titillating to them? Wouldn't that actually be intra-species, not inter? Well, I don't know. You would have to enter one of the species for it to work. But the question is: uh. is this? This is 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 this taboo for the for the dog? Does the Dalmatian want to have relations with the Schnauzer, or is this something that the breeders are forcing upon them? Do they feel guilty afterwards, or are they kind of into it? Are they kind of like they sit at home sometimes thinking about that? You know, this is one of those rare conversations where you're both fucking the dog and holding its head at the same time. Well, it's because you're giving me no help. <laughs> I'm asking honest questions. Oh, these are honest questions you're asking. Honest questions that people wonder about. People. People. All right, Jesse (laughs) wrote in, who recently lost his pet cat, Opie Van Shingles Pennypacker. This can't be real. Who was 20, well, uh, Jesse's last name is Pennypacker. So Opie's 
middle name was Van Shingles, and that's a common house cat middle name. He was 21, was Opie Van Shingles, Penny Packer. And uh, he goes into detail on all the things that this cat survived. He was attacked by a beaver. <laughs> um, he once had a, a seizure on the carpet. Uh, and as, as they were about to bury Opie, Opie sprang back to life and ran away for a few days. Okay, this can't be real. Now this is just ridiculous. Well, no, I'm telling you, they got Opie because uh, his dad, Jesse's dad, thought that he heard a, a mouse in the house. And so his mom got little Opie. And then it turned out not to be a mouse, but a smoke detector with a low battery. But they kept Opie in. I don't in. know. I'm not trusting this story. Well, that's hey, you got to trust a guy with the last name of Pennypacker. All right, and here, here's one more, and this is just, this is heartbreaking. This is from, um, well, Gabriel or Gabrielle, G-A-B-R-I-E-L-E. -E. Now, Gabriel or Gabrielle, that, it, it claims to be Italian, but currently living in London. Gabriel or Gabrielle the Italian from London. But now I don't know whether Gabriel or is Gabrielle is, I don't know whether to say he or she, so I will refer to Gabby. There you go. Gabby writes, Hello, Jim and Brian. I hope you're well. I just witnessed a tragedy that may be too heartbreaking even for Reggie's Corner. I live an unassuming life in jolly old London, England. <laughs> and a few weeks ago, <laughs> well, what are you laughing already now? You're just... Because it's written the way it's written. I live an unassuming life in jolly old England. Let me tell you this horrible story. I live an unassuming life in jolly old England. Well, we've talked about the fact that our friends across the pond have a way with words that, that surpasses the Americans. And also then you throw some Italian into the mix and bada bing, bada boom, you got something here. That's not the kind of a, whatever, keep going. I live an unassuming life in jolly old London, England. A few weeks ago, as I was coming back home from one of my unassuming work days, I saw a tiny little black cat in the communal garden of my flat. See, they have communal gardens over there. It's where they, they go out in the garden and commune with each other. That's why the, the British are so happy. You know, this guy's All pointed, that communing. This guy's pointing out that he's unassuming and everything about him is unassuming so much that maybe he should be investigated. Well, hold on. We're getting to that. Gilgo. What, they caught that dildo beach guy, right? They say they did. I mean, there still has to be yeah. a trial. Innocent until proven uh, guilty and guilty and guilty. Well, and guilty you, just, and guilty. you just tell me. Did he do it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. He's done. Yeah. Anyway, a tiny little black cat in the communal garden of my flat. As soon as we made eye contact, he started meowing and rolling voluptuously on the grass as to call for a cuddle. I approached the little fellow to satisfy such request, but as soon as I was about 30 centimeters close... Now, how close is that, Brian? I don't know. 30 centimeters. That sounds like a, a reasonably close distance. How many centimeters equal an inch? I don't have any idea. That centimeter shit's just made up anyway. Well, as soon as I was about 30 centimeters close, he ran away and then proceeded to look back at me with what I perceived as a mocking mug. How could you not love it? In the next few days, I managed to bribe my way into cuddling him, and the few seconds I saw him every evening made my day every time. I was even thinking about building a thingy for him to play with. Until this morning. 
I got woken up around 5 a.m. by a ruckus outside. I approached the window and saw 15 police officers with helmets, weapons, and even a ram trying to break into one of the flats in front of mine. See, flats over there are apartments, just so you know. Then all of a sudden, well, you know, everybody might not know. I didn't want to make anybody particularly feel stupid just because you got a big vocabulary. Then all of a sudden, I saw a man attempting to escape and another man being manhandled and arrested by police in what looked like a drug-related operation. So apparently, the police over there, when they go to arrest people, Brian, they're on drugs. I guess it helps, you know, with risking your fucking safety to go into a criminal's den, but I would think you'd want to be fucking sober and straight to go arrest people like that. I don't believe anything in this email so far. But nevertheless, my unassuming morning finally had something gossipy I could entertain myself with. Unfortunately, after these events, the pace of the whole operation suddenly became more glacial than a match between Tomohiro Ishii and Chris Jericho. So I got distracted and proceeded to prepare my breakfast until, oh golly, I heard it from the kitchen. Meow, meow, meow. I rushed to the window and saw two women, probably the partner and the daughter of one of the drug dealers, being accompanied outside by a police officer who was followed by another officer with a little cage made of some soft material. From above, I could hear the meowing coming from inside the cage and a little head bumping against its walls in a desperate attempt to escape. My little cat was being arrested. I had to stand there at the window, powerless, as the shiny green eyes of my new friend looked at me from inside the cage, terrified. Meow, he called. Meow. I stood there. Meow. The policeman turned the corner, and I never saw him again. Now I'm back to my usual routine with a hole in my soul. Since your podcasts are the number one programs in every jail of the United Kingdom, I would sincerely appreciate it <laughs> What? if you could read this story. We're number one everywhere. So that my little friend will know that I have not forgotten about him. So if you are indeed a cat that has be- recently been arrested in a drug operation in London, England, and you're in a cell right now, Gabby misses you. And Gabby signs off, wishing you a very good day. Thank you. Fuck you. Meow. Okay, we may have to start banning submissions from Europe. But that's been Reggie's Corner. This has been Reggie's Corner. Goodbye to our friends on the other side. On the next Reggie's Corner. Talk about a bunch more pets who died. Welcome to the big time, bitch! Woof woof. Well, there it is. Reggie's there, corner. There you have it. And now that we have successfully gotten outside Reggie's corner, I do have a serious email that I did not want to group in with Reggie's corner for the reasons that will be obvious, but uh Ray, and don't know where he's from either. But he wrote in um, to say thanks because he's gotten some entertainment from the program. His mother passed away uh, in at the end of June, a couple of days before his 40th birthday. And he's been listening to some of the programs to help him take his mind off of that. But he said, when I was listening once a few months back, 
My mother came by and overheard and asked, what the hell are you listening to? And after I explained, she said, he's not that asshole with the tennis racket, is he? So apparently, Ray's mother may have been from North Carolina. I'm not sure, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to bet on that. But Ray, we're sorry to hear about that. And, and just one more email I want to recognize here. Jeff from El Paso, Illinois. Jeff, I'm not going to read any of your email. It was very nice. You were very complimentary. But the reason why I'm recognizing your email is because of the subject line, which basically told me that I was the best manger ever. Brian, I'm the best manger ever. You know, sometimes, and I feel bad about this, someone tries to post something in the Cult of Cornet, and I don't allow it because it'll be a whole big thing about him, Cornet. <laughs> Everyone's going to jump on the person and just kill them as soon as him cornet goes up. Well, remember my first trading card, my first official wrestling trading card was Jin Cornet, J-I-N. Have you got one of those? I can send you one. People have sent them to me like crazy over the last several years. I do. A few years back, I tried to buy as many of those, not yours, but just the entire <laughs> set as possible. And... Boy, howdy, what a set it is. And for the, was that China, or where was it from? I want to say India. Or it was India, because the, there was Indian writing on the, on the package. If you ever saw the package, they came in. But apparently, in 1985, for those of, of you out there in TV land who have not heard this story, somebody in India, some company, just decided to make wrestling trading cards possibly because wrestling had come on tv over there or just they knew it was hot somebody here in this country got them and sold them i don't know what the fuck but what they did was they just took random pictures out of one of the magazines that uh george napolitano used to uh uh take pictures for the Starlog magazines yeah and uh, there's like superstars of wrestling and what he but he took pictures for oodles and oodles of magazines and the the people putting them together had no idea who any of these people were past what the caption was on the photo in the magazine that they were ripping off so as a result people got misidentified names were misspelled but mine my tra and they were cheap like cardboard and they were only printed on one side the back of the card was yeah. just blank cardboard right and they're tiny and they're very small. They're very small. But my card was a picture of Bobby Eaton choking Buzz Sawyer over the middle ring rope, and he's leaning on him, you know, the choking thing, and Buzz is, ah. And I'm reaching up with my tennis racket around the back of Buzz's head to add to the choking. It's a manager interference spot. And the caption on the picture said, Jim Cornette choking Buzz Sawyer. So they thought that Bobby was me. They didn't know that it would be the manager wearing the suit at ringside. So the whole fucking card is Bobby choking Buzz Sawyer, and my one of my arms is reaching up, and you can see the end of the tennis racket, and it's identified as Jin, J-I-N, Cornette. So my arm and part of my name got on my first trading card. Yeah, that's a Jim Cornette rookie card. I think it was the fucking people who made the cards rookie card. It's the first one they tried. Where were we going with all of this? I don't even know where we've been. Oh, I know where we're going. We're going to court. We have found out a bunch more information 
about our favorite weasel that owes everybody money, Colin Thompson of Cast Media, K-A-S-T, for those of you looking it up. We've told the story of how he ripped us off on advertising, about how he's ripped off tons of people we've spoken to over the last week or two, and we've also heard news reports of other indiscretions of his, and now we find out that his own employees were the ones who thought of suing him before we even did. How do you even write this shit? It has been a crazy week. I have had so much of my day every day filled up with phone calls and conversations with people. We said we weren't alone in this. We're not alone in this. And there's a lot of people owed a lot of money. There's a lot of people who didn't realize the severity of it because of how many people were involved. And this may end up being a lot bigger than people thought it was going to be. We spoke to numerous people this week, and I spoke to you earlier in the week, and I told you after I had spoken to three other creators, so three other people who have programming that was through cast media, along with us. And between our four parties, cast media owed a million dollars. And that was just us four. That's not even counting any of the gigantic shows. I mean, Logan Paul has been associated with cast, at least in the past he was. Lots of other shows. Lots Sarah of other, Silverman. Sarah Silverman. Lots of other shows, lots of other names. We don't want to make any assumptions, but just from us four, it's a million dollars. So this may end up being quite significant. We, here's another thing. We haven't heard from anybody that's not mad at him. That he that's doesn't, right. that he has paid all of their money and they are happy with their business dealings. We have heard nothing from any of those people. We no. solicit you if you exist. Come try to defend the weasel, but we're not hearing it so far. No, it's, it's people that are looking at different ways of getting restitution, but also at this point, making sure this can't continue. I'm going to read in a little bit the original press release that Podcast One and Cast Media put out about their sale of certain assets. But as that press release we read on the drive-thru, so perfectly put, and we don't even know who did it. Again, if you did that, please reach out to us. I'd love to know who put that out. We're all being, and again, we're out, but we were all being told that the money that you earned is not coming to you. The only chance you have of recouping any of it is by signing a deal with Podcast One, at which point you'll get some of your money, and then the rest of it, including stock, will be over two years. Stock at a company that technically doesn't exist yet. It's pre-IPO. The, the company has not been spun off. There is no stock yet. And that company that you're being told you will have stock in, which would be the company that would represent the hosting of your show, will have Colin Thompson involved with it. It's yes, the, it's insane. The, the, you're invited to work with the person that has screwed you out of money and derailed, in some cases, your podcast and is you are contractually obligated to, in some cases, thankfully not us, but these people are, and they can't get out of it because they can't even find this guy because he won't talk to anybody well, no, now. That's not true. He'll talk to certain people. And, you know, we're, we've been hearing a lot of things, and I want to be careful what we say here, but. Not everyone can't find him, so I don't think we should say that because that's not accurate. Oh, he, 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 some people can find him, just not the people that really want to. We have not heard anything, and other parties who are waiting to hear something about settlements, we didn't expect it. Again, the lawyer said we were going to get it within two weeks, a month and a half ago. 
and we haven't had anything, but we haven't heard anything. Other people who are still waiting on it haven't heard anything. There are people who are trying to figure out a way to get into arbitration because some of the cast contracts for anyone who's still under cast contract, typically they, if not exclusively, had a clause saying that any dispute would go to arbitration. There are people trying to force it. There are people who just want to sue Colin. And at this point, the biggest contingent, the growing contingent, are people who are about to press charges and about to talk to the attorney general and about to talk to as many district attorneys as we can, because this is insane. This is insane. And again, the involvement of Live One for no good reason in any of this is puzzling and seems to be becoming a bigger and bigger story. And why they're not running away from this guy. The more they hear about the more people he owes money, the more people he has misrepresented things to, the more people that he has led down the primrose path, they will not separate themselves from this guy or this deal with his moribund organization. And one has to question why that would be the case. Are they, are they trying to take him under their wing and rehabilitate him from a life of crime? You know, there are a lot of people scared. We spoke out and we heard from a ton of people thanking us and a ton of people with almost the exact same story. We have not heard from anyone who is ready to speak out publicly yet. We heard from people who are trying to take care of relatives with medical issues with the money that they are owed from this guy because they had put work into their programs to where that they could have that income and take care of these people and now they're sitting around with their dicks in their hands because of this guy in his two million dollar house in california and his vacations flying around the world and the reason why by the way besides the fact that we just like to talk about people that we're not happy with the reason why we keep bringing this up is because what you said a lot of people are still contractually obligated and or just scared to talk and we can, and it's already made podcasting industry news, not related to wrestling podcasting, but podcasting in general. And it's probably going to make some bigger news when we all eventually discover why that Live One slash Podcast One is so enamored of this guy and this deal that they're putting themselves in the middle of all of this. We still got to find that out. And that's going to make sense. So we're just trying to get ahead of all the news that's going to be made. When this becomes a big thing that this shyster has created for himself in regular mainstream news is what we're doing. There are two big things here. One is, what did Colin do with all the money and how much was there? At this point, I don't, based on everyone I've talked to, I haven't talked to anyone not owed money and not owed a lot of money. So how long was this going on? The other thing too is, typically when people steal millions of dollars, they don't do it alone. Typically, there's someone involved. Typically, there's someone helping. Typically, there's someone advising. We will find out who that is. So I think the Colin end of it and the misappropriation of all of these shows' money is a big deal that will probably become a criminal deal. And I think the second question is, why the hell did a publicly traded company think it was a good idea to get involved with this guy and then continue to stay with this guy when... Jesus Christ, is it apparent that there's a major problem here? And they try to intimidate anyone from saying anything. You can't say anything. We expect you to hold confidentiality about all of this stuff. Oh, the, the, remember the guy, the head, uh, what's his name? Oh, Rob? Rob Ellen. When he, 
when he emailed me, not even knowing who the fuck I was, and apparently he found out, but said, well, and the SEC doesn't take kindly to threats. Well, the Southeastern Conference is going to come down on these some bitches one way or the other. He said the SEC doesn't take kindly to these threats. The threat was we're going to call the SEC. And tell them what you're doing. Yeah. We have factual evidence to back up in your own emails. That was the threat. We're going to call the, the SEC yeah. about all this. Yeah. Let's take a step back. I know you want to talk about this class action lawsuit that we've now become privy to, and this is getting crazier and crazier. Let's go to the original press release about this purchase. May 23rd, 2023, 8.45 Eastern Time. This was put out. The source is Live One Incorporated. This is, I think, approximately, I got to check the emails, two weeks after I heard from Colin, Colin Thompson of Cast Media, who owes us a lot of money. Two weeks after I heard from him that this was what he was doing. He was selling his company and that because of the sale, he'll then have money to pay us back all that we're owed. And then we can figure out things from there, but we'll be whole at that point. Here's the press release. Live one to acquire certain assets of cast media. And there's some bullet points here. Proposed deal expected to add $10 million plus in annual revenues Acquisition would bring in-house IP development and ownership to Live One and its subsidiaries and is expected to include more than 25 weekly podcasts and 33 million monthly downloads. Assets expected to include top cast media shows, some more news, Brandon Schaub's Fighter and the Kid, The Opportunist, Lost in Panama, Vigilante, and Was It Real? And top-tier host talent, Ellen Marsh, Rabia Chaudhry. I don't know who these people are. I'm sorry if I'm I've, 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 I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I've never heard any of this shit. Whitney Cummings. Okay. Peabody Award recipient Mariana Atencio. You may remember her from MSNBC. And Audrina Partridge. Live One Combined Podcast Network distribution would rise to over 340 episodes weekly and nearly 750 million verified downloads annually. Once again, they're putting out this press release for the market. They're saying that they are acquiring certain assets of a company that owes everyone money and is going to go bankrupt by the owner's own words and admission unless this deal goes through. By the way, the owner's attorney wrote that to us, so we have yes. that in writing. Yes. It's basically, take this bad deal with Podcast One, or He's going bankrupt and you get nothing. That's the threat. They're awful happy about acquiring a company that's losing money hand over fist, leaking like a fucking sieve, aren't they? How does that work? Because they're not losing money. Cast media should be profitable. We just don't know where all the money went. That business, the business of selling advertising for podcasts, if you take yourself away from the production end of it, which they haven't, which is part of the reason why it's a badly run company, that end of it, should be a very lucrative business. I mean, I say that knowing numbers. It should be a very lucrative business. If a doctor's office is busy and they're billing nonstop and getting paid nonstop and they're losing money, maybe the doctor's taken off with the money. I used to work for doctors when I was a kid, when I was like 20 <laughs> years old, and I remember these billing problems. So there's that, but let's go to this press release. So what you're saying is, Live One shot a man while robbing his castle, but Colin Thompson took the money and ran. 
I don't know, but let's uh, go to this. Live one on NASDAQ is LVO. Announced today, it has entered into a letter of intent. And what is today, by the way? What's the date on that, just for people hearing it now? Uh, May 23rd, 2023. Okay. Live one announced today is entered into a letter of intent to acquire certain assets of the Los Angeles-based podcast network, development, and production company, Cast Media, in an all-stock deal. <laughs> no cash. That's insane. Especially if you have to hold that stock for at least two years. That's crazy. If completed, the proposed acquisition is expected to increase annual consolidated revenue for Live One by over $10 million. Here's a quote from Colin Thompson, founder and CEO of Cast Media and executive producer of Cast's owned narrative IP slate. Our goal is to entertain, inform, and inspire through our shows. And Live One has the infrastructure, reach, and operational excellence to take that mission to the next level. Live One's commitment to our premium original podcasts will allow us to expand IP development and production, oh, excuse me, and production to increase our original own content slate. We look forward to completing the deal and working shoulder to shoulder with the impressive team at Live One. Let me stop for a second. You're usually shoulder to shoulder with somebody when you're handcuffed to them. Let me just say something right there. That's the problem. I mean, there's a lot of problems here, but after all of this, we're being told, again, re what he's saying here, Live One's commitment to our premium program will allow us. I'm staying on board. I'll still be in charge. The guy who fucked around with everyone's money will be in charge of this if anyone feels forced into taking this awful deal just to try to get some of your money, how is this not completely? Every time I describe any angle of it, it's just so fucking illegal. How is any of this possible? Well, here's a quote from Live One CEO and chairman Robert Ellen. He's one I wanted to hear from. Live One has long admired Cast Media's roster of top notch podcast programming, their host talent, and their development in IP. Through this collaboration with Colin and his team, we expect to deliver a slate of original programming with an eye towards second window TV. The letter of what? They, well, what? they want to take Colin's podcast. My, my TV doesn't have any windows in it. It doesn't even have a fucking door. They want to develop television programming for Colin's podcast <clears throat> content, it sounds He's like. got the perfect face for radio, though. The letter of intent with Cast Media is non-binding, and the contemplated acquisition is subject to execution of definitive documentation with Cast Media, completion of due diligence, settlement of Cast Media's outstanding obligations, obtaining applicable approvals and consents, and other customary closing conditions. How much due diligence could that do they need to do when you can Google this motherfucker and see what he's into? There could be no assurance. But you can Google them and see what they're into, though, too, can't you? That's right. There could be no assurance that the proposed acquisition will be completed and or within the anticipated timeline. And then it goes into some biographical information about both companies. Well, because that's the thing. If you Google Live One Podcast One, it doesn't all come up sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, and waterfalls, right? So maybe this is birds of feathers. You know what? I don't want to reveal it because someone who I used to work with at Sony Music got in touch with me and they said, I heard who is involved in this whole thing. 
Welcome to Sleazetown. They have a reputation for not paying anyone. AEG, Live Nation, etc., etc. So we're being told, well, let's take a step back and lay it out again. We're being told in order to get the large amount of money they owe us, we have to sign an agreement with Podcast One where we would not get all of our cash up front. We would get a third of it. And then a third, and it doesn't even specify cash in the original document. They said a third over two years, loosely. It could be cash or whoever. And then a third in stock after 24 months. Couldn't do anything for two years. So it's not like, here's the value of what we owe you in stock. You could sell it tomorrow and get your money back. That's not what we're being offered. No, here's stock in a company that doesn't exist yet, but might exist if all goes through. And then... It'll be good in two years if the company's still around. Here's stock in a company that's being spun off by a company that gives everyone stock instead of cash for every deal they do. <laughs> no, thank you. So, uh, so, so no, you're, the, you. you're the big financial Wall Street high muckety-muck grand poobah around here, Brian. Is there a way? I'm not saying they're doing it. I'm just saying, is there a way... That the Live One and Podcast One people and Colin Thompson could all get together and make stock in this company that doesn't actually exist and then distribute it around and make some money themselves, despite the fact that the stock may or may not be worth a tinker's damn, as Mama Cornette used to say. Is there a way they could make money off that just theoretically? Yes. High in the sky. Yeah. The investors can lose money. And the people running companies can make money. That happens all the time. Sure. Even, even if the shit they're doing is absolutely worthless. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of stock and worthless shit out there. Absolutely. Well, and, and that may or may not allegedly, theoretically, explain why that this company would continue to do business with a miscellaneous weasel that was trying to bring them a deal that would allow them to sell some fictitious stock and make some money somehow before anybody figured it out. And once again, a reminder, Rob Ellen's involvement, the CEO of Live One, a publicly traded company, his involvement was to get copied on an email by Colin after his two top executives, I believe, in his podcast one division were already copied for the entire chain. He got copied by Colin. Then he wrote to you and said, we have no dog in this fight. We don't want to be involved. Don't get us involved. However, talk to my team. <laughs> But yes, just talk to us. Just every single time. We don't want any problem. Talk to my, my gut tells me, my gut tells me you should talk to my team. And in his second email, I had to ask you, I said, is this what is written by a person on experimental LSD nope. type medication? The exact words were, is this fucking guy on drugs? Oh well, yeah. It could... <laughs> there were some English words sprinkled into the conversation, but anyway. But you brought up strong arm last time. That's, look, that's what it is. We're being strong arm. If we want to get any of the money that we earned that was paid for the work we did, we have to, we well, have to submit to, to, to be, these terms. It's insane. To be perfectly fair, we don't know whether even those ridiculous terms are still a thing because we've heard nothing since we referred their attorney to our attorney. We've heard nothing from these people at all, and we, and we, they only have to guess that that is their best offer because they haven't made another one. Probably because he doesn't have any money. Probably because they thought that this was all going to go by without anybody calling attention to them in public. 
And guess what? And they inflated the cast media numbers with our show, even though we were an independent show and they were simply selling our advertising for a straight commission split. They had no other ownership and or rights to our program, but they were inflating their numbers with our show to try to con this Rob Ellen guy that they were bigger than their fucking britches well, no, indicated. Don't assume they're trying to con Rob Ellen. That's an assumption we shouldn't make. Well, I, sh I should. We shouldn't make that because chances are the conner is in with the con E. We don't know. But my point is we shouldn't make any assumptions because there's a lot of moving parts and more and more voices coming at it on that topic. But our their numbers were being inflated by our numbers. We can say that regardless yes. of who the audience was. And while we do appreciate the fine comedic efforts of Whitney Cummings and Sarah Silverman and some of these other fine people that we're not familiar with, does anybody out there believe that anybody that we have just mentioned or any of their her heralded programs have the audience that ours does? I think not. And that's probably why we got at least more of our money for a longer period of time than most people did because he wanted to keep us happy as best he could until he decided to shove us up the old Hershey Highway. And so now that, that we are not in any way affiliated with his bogus company, his numbers don't look so good anymore. So they need to go back and they need to update some of those press releases and draw some other figures out of the fucking pit of their ass. You know, another thing, Jim, is we've heard from, since the show dropped, the first uh, show that we did about this, we've heard from a lot of former employees of Cast Media. And we've heard everything from thank you for saying this to go get him to thank God someone's saying these things finally. I said it in that email I wrote. I'm sure there's other people with similar stories. I will find them. Turns out there's a whole lot more than we thought. We thought it was just the content creators being ripped off and their managers and their agents. Turns out it's not. Turns out there's a lot of employees, even ones who left, I guess, without much of a issue or still happy that someone is saying something about all this, which is very telling. And in the midst of hearing all of these things from a lot of people, and if you have anything to say, reach out. Brian at ArcadianVanguard.com or CornyDriveThrough at gmail.com. We became privy to a class action lawsuit against Cast Media and Colin Thompson. Yes, which predates him telling... Not only all the people he was dealing with, but his own employees that they were going to either be sold or go broke. His own employees have already entered into a class action lawsuit to sue this fucking guy. And this started when? Late last year? If, if I'm, I'm I believe trying to find was, the date. I believe it was served in August. Or the summons is from August of 2022. Can I read this list of charges? I've been waiting to do this. I believe so, but due to the nature of this and the people that may be involved, we want to be careful what we say so it doesn't endanger anything about what they're doing. What, uh, what I'm basically saying, this is what this suit, the class action lawsuit filed against Cast Media, I guess Colin Thompson, but Cast Media is an entity. No, Colin, it says in there is that- Is Colin Ca Thompson named specifically? It says in there that Cast Media is an alter ego of Colin Thompson. Okay. <laughs> well, this is what a lot of people are saying. They're being charged in this class action lawsuit 
failed to provide required meal periods, failed to provide rest periods, failed to provide overtime wages, failed to provide pay minimum wages, failed to pay accrued but unused vacation wages, failed to pay all wages due to discharged and quitting employees, failed to promptly pay wages due, failed to maintain required records, failed to furnish accurate itemized wage statements, and failed to reimburse necessary business expenses. Sounds like a wonderful place to work and a wonderful guy at the helm, and this is what his own employees have filed against him in a court of law that predates him screwing everybody out of money that he was working with in the podcasting world. No. It predates him screwing us out of money. Don't make that assumption either. Ah, That's... true. He was already screwing other people out of money. And we, and again, we actually don't know for sure because, you know, again, this isn't going to be over until we get the full accounting, until we really see what the, what they build and what they received before we got ours. This isn't over until then, so I'm not making any assumptions about when getting fucked out of money started. Because <laughs> I don't think that's a smart thing to do right now. But uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned because we're, we're basically, we're the network news now because this is going to end up, I predict, your boy, what's your boy's name, Farber over there on CNBC? Faber, not Farber, David Well, Faber. I, predi I predict that Farber is going to be reporting on this on network news when, uh, when everybody from Colin Thompson to Cat, his alter ego cast media, Live One, Podcast One, and every other motherfucker named One, gets hauled into goddamn court. We ought to put it on Judge Judy. She'd straighten it out. Don't give me a break. Anyway, that's the update on does Colin Thompson owe you money? And apparently the answer universally is fucking yes. Universally. And if anyone has anything to say, again, if he owes you money, get in touch. You know, we're doing our best to get everyone involved so that everyone can make sure that we're aware of what's going on. If you are owed money, get in touch. If you are a former cast employee, get in touch. If you are someone that, independent of either of those things, has been ripped off by Colin Thompson, get in touch. New podcast coming soon. And as well, we are trying to, as you mentioned, we're trying to spread the word with our, our pulpit here that we have because other people are not so blessed and fortunate to be able to reach a lot of people. And that's why a lot of these smaller folks were in the dark about whatever was going on with Colin as we were all starting to find out. 60-40. Can you imagine 60? I can't get past that still. 60-40. Holy shit. Hey, oh. 40 for you and 60 for them. It's that standard industry. Yeah, that's the other thing. We're assuming that it's 60 for the creator. Yeah. That's, that's a bad assumption. Uh, but Brian, you know, you know who doesn't owe anybody money? That's jimcornette.com and Cornette's Collectibles. All we owe is fine merchandise to our customers. All we owe, we owe. All we owe, we owe is fine merchandise, fine quality merchandise at low prices and excellent service conducted by the Feather Bottoms and their Feather Bottoms Ultra Careful Handling System, Fuck for short. If you go to jimcornette.com right now, the Cornette Face T-shirt that's the hit of AEW television and around the world. Also, the behind-the-curtain graphic novels, the last couple of hundred inside-the-ropes magazines with moi on the cover, and a couple of the final remaining action figures, including the breast cancer pink action figure with 10 bucks from each figure, going now to the City of Hope on a monthly basis. And if you want something 
get it over the next few weeks because in the next, well, probably by next week, we're going to have some big news on a project that has been two years in the making and is going to just be swell, the crowning achievement of the merchandise king that is jimcornett.com. This is our the greatest, as Jimmy Hart used to say, this is going to be the greatest day of my life. New DVDs of Jim Does It Donkey Style. Coming no, soon. They, they wouldn't release, I'm sorry, Cambodia would not release the uh, rights to the footage. We cannot re-release that DVD. Cambodia? That's where you film this? Well, yeah, you know, they give tax credits over there. If you know, they give you and they all the free goats. Those Cambodian tax credits. Those of course. Cambodian tax credits, you can come back and you can buy stock in Live One. <laughs> with Cambodian tax credits. Oh, come on. And then and, and for the whole production, free goats anytime you wanted them. That's what we got over there from the government. How many corny coin can I exchange for shares of Live One? Well, see, now if you have $1,000 worth of corny coin, then you can translate that into $500 worth of Live One stock. Then you take the $500 worth of Live One stock and you get all those stock certificates and you put them in your fireplace in the wintertime and you set fire to them and you can heat your house for three hours. All right. Cornets collectibles. Yeah. See, aren't you, aren't you glad you asked? No. No, you know that corny coin thing. There was something to that. We just didn't flesh it out enough. And so, if we'd have spent as much time on that as we did on the, the cult of cornet greeting, in the last couple of weeks, I think we would have had a hit with corny coin. We would have figured something. There, it's it's floating around there. We got to figure out how instead of what we were doing was we were, we were starting with something, and we were ending up with nothing. And all we have to do is just reverse that. And that shouldn't be too hard. I don't even understand what you just said. We should start We're out starting with, with nothing, nothing and end up with something. That's what we should be doing. Right. Well, we were doing it the other way around. What's that, your, that's what the problem was. That was the problem. I don't even understand what you're saying. What's the problem? We started with what? That we started with something and ended with nothing. We started with the concept of corny coin, but yes. at the end of the whole procedure, we had dick all of nothing. Well, the crypto market collapsed. Well, see, we've got to we got to turn that thing around. We've got to figure out a way to start with the dick all of nothing, and after the procedure is over, end up with something. See, if Colin was smart, he would send us an email offering us a third and corny coin because at least I'd laugh. At least <laughs> there you go. Guy. But no. And before we go any further, I've been asked by my erstwhile co-host to make mention that the air conditioning behind me, you're going to be, you probably won't hear it, ladies and gentlemen, but Mr. Audio over there has just told me, you know, the brand new super duper state of the art Icetron Mach 5 air conditioning unit that I got has a, a number of speeds and apparently it's just kicked into overdrive because it's 110 outside. And I've never heard the air sound that loud before, but it's it's blowing at a higher rate to keep me cool and safe and comfortable here in the castle. So we're going to have to deal with it. So you feel cool and comfortable right now? Yes. All right, time to continue the show. Well, it's your show. No, it's your show. Oh, shit. Well, we're fucked. All right. Well, where do you want to go? 
Should we should we use this opportunity now to talk about again Uncle Dave is rambling? I'm not sure. I it, it has Dave ever had a history of concussions? How would he have gotten them? Has he been beamed on the head with a bunch of notepads as a reporter? How would a reporter get concussion syndrome? <laughs> I've never heard anything about Dave and concussions, but on this topic, it's an interesting question. You think that, I mean, who's nope? The other reporters are throwing their notepads or well, someone grabs the, his and throws it at him. You know, like, like, you know, on the Beverly Hillbillies, when uncle Jed would take his hat and just whack Jethro in the head and say, boy, Maybe a lot of the other reporters have just been taking notepads and just whacking Dave Meltzer in the head and said, boy, don't be so stupid. He's got something's gone wrong because he's misremembering current of uh, recent history. Apparently, on uh, we have been alerted to on his message board. He can't get me out of his mind. He can't quit me, Brian. He can't get me out of his mind or apparently his keyboard. Well, that seems to be the case. We were alerted by several of the listeners that are members of his website that he wrote on the message board in the Jim Cornette podcast thread something about the origin of your issues with him. And Now, wait a minute. He has a, on his message board, my podcast has a thread. Right. Well, his message board, again, they sell a membership, him and Brian Alvarez, so people can go there and just say the craziest things. And Wait a minute. They have to pay? They pay. You don't have access to that message board for free. They're afraid if they give it away for free, it would cause subscriptions to drop, so they have to charge people to go to their message board. Well, we don't charge people to go to the Cult of Cornette Facebook group. We we just It takes forever for them to get in because there's so many, but it, it, we don't charge them. Right, and we actually just let a few hundred people in in the last few days, so uh, keep trying to get in. Uh, we'll, keep trying. We'll keep letting you in, but there's a section for radio shows and podcasts that are not part of the website, and there... The most popular thread has always been the Jim Cornette podcast thread. Imagine that. There are people who love the show, people who like the show and disagree with things that you and I say, which is fair. People who absolutely hate you and despise me and just feel that they have to go in there and listen and well, now, well, now, hold on, <laughs> write about it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why do they only hate me, but they despise you? Can't they despise both of us? I'm not as good at getting them to hate me as you are at getting them to despise you. Why does your despisal trump my hate? Well, you've been on TV. I've just been making lots of money behind the well, scenes. Well, no, but despising is worse than hating. Yeah. So I want to know how I can make them despise me like you've made them despise you. You're not the heel you used to be. You're just not the heel you used to be. You got to move over, old man, for the young people like me who know what we're doing. I've been trying. Well, I in this thread, I don't want you to get too upset here because... Right. uh Although if you are, you know, CB Distillery may be something that could help you out and feel a little better today. But in this... I'm still working on bending that spoon. I'll report back next week. In this thread, the topic of the issues between you and Dave came up. And again, for people new to the show, Dave and Jim were longtime friends. And then we started seeing more and more, and people started sending us more and more from this paywalled message board, which is almost in hiding. And it wasn't, it wasn't all from there. No, no, he no. was on Twitter. And he Twitter. was on his audio programs. Just nonstop knocks at you, basically repeating talking points from the Young Bucks. And at the same time, and I say this as someone who saw them, he was emailing you complimentary things, thanking you for editorials on the show. Like At the same time, 
Because I say this- publicly, hey, Dave, what's your favorite meal? Well, I don't know, but Cornette doesn't know. Cornette doesn't know. He won't learn. And I felt like a fool because at the time this was all going down, I was one of the people trying to get you, hey, maybe you guys should talk. Maybe you guys should, you know, talk and just, you guys have been friends for years. Every single time, I'd every single time, like within hours, Dave made a comment about you on Twitter and it blew every, I was like, fuck, there it goes. There was the chance. Mr. Self-Awareness blew it again. But again, in this thread on this message board behind a paywall, there were questions about the origins of your feud with Dave Meltzer. And here's what Dave had to write. The guy insulted me for years while acting like he was my friend because I went to PWG, a product he never saw because they did a fake explosion years before I ever attended. I didn't wait, throw wait, one. Wait, hold on, hold on. Hold on. It's a fake explosion? I guess that's one what? of the things they did, like the fake grenade. Didn't they do the fake the grenade? The fake hand grenade. The fake hand grenade. Would you call that a oh, fake explosion God. or a fake grenade? That's an interesting... Uh, I, I, either way. Well, apparently that's... Uh, I'll go back to the beginning. The oh, yeah. So- you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't judge a promotion just on their fake explosions. Uh, acting like he was my friend because I went to PWG, a product he never saw because they did a fake explosion years before I ever attended. I didn't throw one of the first 100 punches. What? I wrote an article in November 1999, and I believe this date is off. What? Uh, he's off by a few decades here. He's talking about 2019, I think. I wrote an article in November 1999 about the demos and why AEW would get a new deal while he was saying they would go out of business by February and Vince would kill them with NXT. Him being so dead wrong is what the problem was. <laughs> he started acting like I made up the demos being valuable, which showed how totally out of touch he was about the television industry. Oh my God. He had to pretend he was right, but there's no gray area who won the Wednesday Night War, nor is there gray area in whether or not AEW went out of business in February 2020. Oh, so Jim, Lord. Hold, 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 on, hold on, hold on one second. While I got him fresh in my mind. While I got him fresh in my mind. Yeah. Number one, I said, yeah, I said, if they keep on putting on television programs like they were the first couple months they were on the air, I said, can they be out of, uh, still in business in six months or will they be out of business in six months or whatever the fuck I said? I never said anything about the demo because I don't care about the demo. He's the one making up the demo. We've all heard about the demo because it's the only thing that they can really win in. And as far as the first hundred punches, Brian, the whole thing came down to for years on the program, a a couple years even before that, but especially when AEW got on television, we would be constantly bombarded with people Say, well, Dave Meltzer says this about these guys, and Dave Meltzer says that about these guys. Why don't you like them? And I had to say, well, you know what? I don't know. There's no accounting for people's taste. I've defended Dave Meltzer for being, he never lied on purpose in all the years that I knew him. He was great with history, wonderful with obituaries, fucking had watched 40 years of every kind of wrestling around the world and certainly knew more than the fucking people that wanted to take the piss out of him, like the shit stains and the Bischoffs and et cetera. There's no contest there. And that's why I said, so I don't understand 
why he's so enamored of this shit and these people, because he's always seemed to have a level head. But hey, weed's legal in California. That was the that most was the worst insulting thing. thing. That was the worst thing you said about him, and you said it jokingly while laughing every that single time. That was the time. most insulting thing that I said about the fucking guy. I couldn't understand it because I don't understand it. I still don't. I don't know whether he really believes this fucking malarkey that he defends these guys to the death and runs off people who have known him for 40 years more than just me. I don't know whether it's because of financial, because of his subscribers, or they're actually paying him under the table. Dave never seemed like an under-the-table guy to me. I think he's just doing it because he thinks they're his friends, and because whatever fucking thing he's got for this stupid style of phony wrestling, he will defend it to the death. Is it because that's what his only readers that he has left likes? I don't know. But the reason why he only has readers left that like that shit is partially because the people that read him for the previous 30 years can't stomach hearing this when they see what the shit actually looks like that he's given five stars to. That's been one of the problems. They're like, what the fuck? So I don't, is it projection? Is that what the kids call it? Where you're saying that someone else is doing the same thing that you did to them? in order to defend yourself. But Brian, do you remember any incident where I fucking just dug into Dave until I finally had my Popeye moment and said, I'm sick of this fucking guy telling people that I'm so out of touch and that I refuse to learn because I won't say that these fucking kids, phony fucking wrestling looks good. That's what it was. And I don't think it was just Dave wanted to be their friends. I think Dave has an issue with aging. I mean, Dave dyed his remaining hair black from what I've seen. And Dave dresses like a, like a much younger person, I guess you could say. And Dave is obsessed with keeping up with the times. It's self-preservation, too. And when you rejected Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, it wasn't about them. You were rejecting Dave. Dave anointed them. When Dave, he could say whatever he wants, but he's being dishonest if he says, when I gave Kenny Omega all those stories, I wasn't doing it for a reason. He was doing it for a reason. And the Young Bucks, they've had matches that weren't that great that he went crazy for. There is something there. And whether it's him hoping to hold on to the youth of wrestling, because if the young people in wrestling don't talk to Dave, he has nothing. If Dave loses people talking to him, what does Dave really have? He has, I mean, I shouldn't say nothing. He could still, even though his obituaries in my eyes have slipped, it's all basically the same thing. Just a bunch of random thoughts, and then let's just take it all right back to the beginning, and then let's just randomly throw more things out of timeline sequence all over the place. I don't like that anymore. I think they used to be better, actually. Now they're longer. Well, he spent more time on them because he was not busy watching multiple gymnastics meets a week, but go ahead. But I think that's a large part of it. You rejected what he was telling people, what he was putting his arms around, what he's putting the Observer around, which was the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, you stood against it as vocally as anyone could, to be fair about it. Yeah. But I think for him, he started repeating the things he was hearing them say. And I think Dave is someone who's kind of, he wants to be cool and he'll copy the people that he thinks are cool because he thinks that's the cool thing to do. Something fierce. 
How are the nerdiest people in the world the ones that he wants to imitate as being? He'd say that he's not trying to be Mick Jagger here. Hey, you saw him around Ric Flair and you've seen him around other people. How many of them produce tongue wagging? How many of them produce <laughs> tongue wagging? It's a different thing right now, man. It's a different thing. And for him to, again, it all comes back to you're supposed to apologize to him because of whatever comment was made in 2019 on the show about TBS. I think it was specifically about TBS having issues with the programming. And then, of yes, course, because I was astonished that TBS's standards from working for them 30 years ago and getting the memos that their standards had sunk to the point where they would air that dreck and or that they would be happy with that level of audience. But I guess they yeah. are, and they do. And again, since that time, Jim's irrelevant, Jim's out of touch. More people listen to Jim every single day than read The Observer in a year. Well, but so, here's, the, here's the thing as far as be it out. Why am I supposed to be in touch? What do I need to be in touch with, and what do I need to be in touch for? I like the things that I touch and the way I touch them. And what have my opinions that I express here on this program, why should I change those opinions? What about those opinions has damaged me in any way? If I see wrestling looks like shit, I say wrestling looks like shit, and here's why. And I have the most popular podcast in the goddamn planet. And I don't get asked to do jobs that I don't want to take. Imagine that. So I'm fine with my touch where it is. I don't need to be touching anything else but the shit that I'm touching. I'm happy with it. And people ask sometimes, you know, why don't you just leave it alone already? You guys said you don't want him to bring you up. Hey, listen, my attitude is if Dave's going to say shit that isn't true, we should correct it. Well, yes, because again, you were sitting here listening and watching to this happen in real time when I tried to be as nice about him publicly as I possibly could until he would not stop telling people that I didn't know what I was talking about because I didn't want to fucking drop down and solibim twinkle toes McFucking finger bang. We don't know what we're talking about. Which show slash newsletter has been more accurate about what's going on in AEW the last four years? These two shows or The Observer? Whether it's the drama with Cody, whether it's everything with the Bucks and CM Punk, whether it's other backstage drama, who's been more on the ball? But that now that's not fair to say, Brian, because we are allowed to say whatever we want to say and whatever we know, whereas he can't say certain things because it'll make his friends mad. So he's laboring at a handicap. That's the thing that got me was the idea that he's saying now this feud, again, lack of a better term, started because you insulted him for years while acting like you were his friend when that's the exact thing Mr. Self-Awareness did. So that's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Can't rewrite history, Dave. We're going to correct it. More people will hear this than will see what you write on your message board that you charge people to enter to write whatever they want. Well, you know what? Part of it, Brian, unfortunately, it's, I hate to say it, but it's the voices in Dave's head. Because 30 years ago, they were friendly voices and they helped him write his newsletter. They kept him awake at night. Come on, Dave. You're almost finished. Keep going. They were positive voices, but now they're negative voices. And the, the, the moral to that story is... Yeah, where are you going with well, this? Well, the moral of that story is you've got to have the right kind of voices in your head. There, you should pick the voices. See, Dave's voices just popped in there. He didn't really pick them. He didn't go through any 
interview period to hire the voices in his head. But you now, thanks to space age technology, ladies and gentlemen, you have the power to pick what voices are going into your heads and what they say, courtesy of the Raycon everyday wireless earbuds. And that's what you, you, you they don't even have any wires to them, hence the name wireless. <laughs> what? <laughs> Why did you have to throw that in? Everyone knows that. Well, no, it's a selling point. <laughs> they don't have any white. Now, one thing is I used to keep track of mine by, by just grabbing them by the wires. And you can't do that with the wireless ones, but... It's also bad for wired headphones to do that. Well, that's true. And especially it's bad for your ears because sometimes they'd be stuck and, you know, you'd yank out and here'd come a whole big thing, a big around as my fucking small fingernail of earwax. But nevertheless... Oh. So the Raycon wireless earbuds, which have no wires, so you can't even see them when you're when they're in your head, and other people will think that what? What are you saying? Well, you know, normally That's the most ridiculous thing. You've ever seen. No, normally. <laughs> Just stop it. The wireless earbuds that, in fact, have no wires, people would see them when they're in your head. No, what what the thing is, is when you put the stuff with the wires and the stems and the sticks and the antenna, you look like my favorite Martian and you've got these things and everybody can see them because they're hanging out of your ears with things attached to them. Well, the wireless earbuds from Raycon, you stick them in your head and, and people won't even notice them. Well, you'll be sitting there rocking out to stairway for, from heaven or stairway to heaven. Stairway from heaven. Stairway from heaven. See, that was the next album that came back. It's actually an escalator. Yes, it was an escalator. But you'll be rocking out to stairway to heaven, and somebody will come up next to you and say, hey, that's a pretty fine ass you got there, pal. And you'll ignore them because you won't hear them, and then they'll punch you in the face for turning down their fucking fresh talk. That's but see, they won't know they're that you got talk. They won't know they're fresh. They won't know you got earbuds in your head because they're wireless. And that's the thing that we need to do. We need to talk <laughs> about the Raycons. <laughs> let's do that. Now, yes. That's let's a great do idea. That. Raycon everyday wireless earbuds. They've got a 32 hour battery life, including eight hours of playtime. What the fuck would they do for the other 24 hours then if they weren't playing? I'm not sure how that's phrased, but you can listen to what you want when you want it for a really long time over and over. Don't worry about your batteries petering out in the 11th minute of Inagata Davida because they got you covered. They've got the customized gel tips for the most comfortable in-ear fit. You take these gel tips, you take the everyday earbuds, you put a little Vaseline right on the gel tips, and you push them as hard as you can right into your ear, and they will stay there until you want them to come out, and even then, sometimes, no. it'll be a procedure. No, it will not. They will come out when you want them to come out. That's the yeah, Raycon that's, that's promise. Fact, that's, that's the new ones, the new Space Age <laughs> experimental Raycon everyday earbuds. You just mouth the word. You know, like, hey, Siri, what is this? Or, hey, ECMO, or all the things that you talk to your... ECMO? ECMO, what's his name? Echo or ECMO, whichever ECMO. one. You got Echo yeah. confused with ECMO? ECMO. Well, he was the off-brand. It was a, it was a, it's like Rolex and Bolex. See, it was a slight difference, but came much cheaper. But the thing is, you just say, hey, come out. 
and the everyday earbuds just fly out of your fucking ears right into your hands. They don't do that. Let's not mislead people and tell they them. They have tracking they devices that you just have. What? Well, you have to have a small tracking device implanted in the palm of your hand for that feature to work. You don't but have that's to. That's a medical procedure that will require some recuperation no. time. There is no feature. There will be no procedure. There is no uh, tracking beacon in your hand or anywhere else. They start at half the price of the other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. So right there, you're saving half the money. Yeah. Who wants to pay twice as much for the same thing? That's almost like paying half as much for a quarter of the same thing. Do they take stock? They may take stock instead of, we're not sure. If you go to buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com, they'll tell you whether they take stock and trade for these or not. But they're so cheap and inexpensive. Well, I shouldn't, shouldn't say cheap. They're inexpensive. They're cheap to own, but they're high-quality merchandise because they come with a 30-day happiness guarantee. The first 30 days that you have these things, if you don't take them out of your ears, you'll be happy for the entire 30 days, except when you're asleep, and then you won't be able to tell. But that's a 30-day happiness guarantee, so you can't lose anything, and... What? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> well, I come back. Come back later with it. Also, the earbud tap functions allow you to toggle between the three customizable sound profiles, noise isolation, and awareness mode. Now, you've always wanted to be isolated from noise. You hit the, the toggle thing, and you won't be able to hear a thing. It'll make you completely deaf. Dave could use awareness mode. Dave could use the awareness mode. You hit that little toggle, and suddenly you know how much of a dipshit you are coming off to other people. <laughs> and then the uh, also the toggle. You know a lot of the, the young people like to toggle. That's that <laughs> dance where they bend over and kind of shake their butt up and down, the toggle. What? That's not the toggle. I th isn't that the toggle? The twerk? Oh, well, I don't know who does it. Could be twerking, could be other people that do it, but they toggle. I, I don't even know. I don't even know where to go or what to say. Well, where will you go right now is to buyraycon.com slash JCE because you can listen to this program on your everyday earbuds or other programs, not just ours, although we're trying to bribe somebody right now where they eliminate all of that. You know, that's what my dad, he was older when I was born. He was already, let's see, my, he was 47 years old when I was born. So he didn't like the Beatles. And he was not a rock and roll fan. And when I was a little bitty kid, six years old, and I wanted to listen to wacky radio in the car, he told me that he had had the wire in the radio take cut loose that connected us to wacky radio. So we couldn't get that particular radio station because he didn't want to listen to the rock and roll. That reminds me, I'm reading the Hornbaker Ric Flair biography. Flair's dad did a speech speaking out against comic books. Yes. <laughs> yes. He was an anti-comic crusader in the 50s. All these older See, guys hated the fun. They hated the fun. But now you, with the everyday earbuds from Raycon, you don't have to worry about missing any of those radio stations. You can listen to your favorite AM Top 40 station on an everyday earbud, or even both of them. It, it just depends on how many are in your ears. And right now, folks, create your own soundtrack with Raycon. Because you can get 15% off your entire Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash JCE. That is buyraycon.com 
slash JCE for 15% off whatever and however many of their products that you would like to purchase at buyraycon.com. And with all of these features, you can now be in control of the, the voices inside your head. You know what the worst thing about Raycon is? Every time I get one, one of my kids steal it. Well, and see, and this is another thing that Raycon is doing. It's contributing to juvenile delinquency across America. That's not what I was saying, and that's not what Raycon is doing. What they're well, doing is supplying great earbuds without wires to the wonderful people out there, the populace that listens to this program. They're so sought after. Everybody wants the Raycons that the kids are starting to steal them. And, and the child delinquency rates are through the roof. So you've got no, to buy. Don't say these things. No, well, you have to. You've got to do it as your civic duty to take care of the children and lead them on the, on the right path of honesty. Every home in America has to have a set of Raycon everyday earbuds so that the kids won't have to steal them. So get busy. The children of America depend on you. You can save our next generation. With Raycon. Keep, keep them honest with Raycon. If everybody has them, you won't have to steal them. So one Raycon for everyone. That's your plan? I think so, and, and possibly two. It depends on how many people's in the house. Well, different colors, too. You may want to get them so you can color coordinate any, them. Any, any race of people. Can no, no, I mean, the earbuds are different colors, not the people. Oh, they have different colors? Yes, they have different colors. Raycon! I like the flesh-colored ones. You can really hide those. All right, this is your show. All righty, who else are we rambling about? SummerSlam. SummerSlam's a big deal. It's coming up. Is it a big deal? There's one, there's two big matches. We know we, we want to see two big matches. Does that make it a big deal? No. What are the other matches? Should we preview this? It's next Saturday night. Well, here's a preview. SummerSlam coming August 5th from Detroit, Michigan. By the way. Yeah. SummerSlam 2023. SummerSlam 1993. Detroit, Michigan. Coincidence? I think not. Well, this time Rick Steiner's not allowed in the building. But let's go to the lineup as currently on WWE.com. There will be a SummerSlam Battle Royal oh, presented boy. by Slim Jim. <laughs> okay. All right. There will be a match. Wait, hold is that no participants? We know from SmackDown that LA Knight and a couple of other people are going to be in it, but they don't have a list of some of the featured individuals competing in this thing. Just we're going to have a battle royal sponsored by Slim Jim with everybody that we didn't have an idea for. It seems to be less about the wrestlers and more about the Slim Jim. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But the next match listed, Ronda Rousey versus Shayna Baszler. Rousey? Ronda Rousey. I thought it was Rousey. Ronda Rousey. Anyway, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. So we yeah. know what's happening here because <laughs> Ronda's managed to let everybody in the world know that she wants to get the fuck out of there. She's given them a date. She's finishing up. And by God, she's done. And they tried to put the, the tag team belts on Ronda and Shayna to flesh this thing out and give a reason for the program. But... Somebody else was injured, and Ronda wouldn't uh, manipulate her end date, so they just went ahead and put the belts on them and then broke them up a couple weeks later. And I'm still trying to figure out who's the babyface and who's the heel because 
Shayna just jumped Ronda from behind, just clear out of nowhere and just beat the teetotal shit out of her like a heel would. But the, I, I, so I don't know what the fuck's going on with these people, but we know Shayna's going to win because Ronda's leaving, right? So there's no mystery here. Although if everyone thinks that and it happened the other way, you could always do something different the next night on Raw or two nights well, later but- on Raw. Well, and that's that's true because they don't mind pissing the people off that bought the pay-per-view anymore because nobody buys a pay-per-view anymore because it's all on the cock for $5 a month. Well, Jim, the next match, former cast media client Logan Paul versus Ricochet. Uh, you know, I'm sure that Logan Paul asked for this match and this is where you need to save talent from themselves because Logan Paul, part of the reason why that he is so good at, you know, at, at doing what he's done, I'm not saying he can call a match in the ring on the fly for, you know, with any style opponent or whatever, but the fact that he has had matches, the level that he's had, even with practice and et cetera, for a guy that doesn't do this regularly and has never trained meaningfully before, that's great, right? But he also likes to do the cool moves that go viral on his virus-ridden fucking social media, I guess. And that's what he does with Ricochet, and they do the thing where they springboard off the opposite top ropes and collide with each other, and they did the thing. If old fucking Ricochet had taken me on that Spanish fly ride that he took Logan on, when they landed wrong on the ropes and didn't have their balance that he almost killed both of them, I wouldn't shake hands with that son of a bitch again for fear that he would hospitalize me. But they want to have a match. And I'm sure Logan Paul asked for it because why would you, why would you take a guy that's that big a celebrity around the world and he's wrestled Seth Rollins and he's, he wrestled Roman, right? Roman Reigns in the big marquee matches or Saudi Arabia or whatever. And why would you book a guy at that level? It's been presented as that level of a star against Ricochet. Not even I'm not, that's not even an insult to the guy as far as his talent in the ring or whatever. That is a, an honest assessment of the, the way that he's presented in the pecking order on their television. And they, They've made this match specifically so Logan Paul and Ricochet can do some flips and dives and stunts or whatever, however you want to term them, that everybody will go holy shit over. And from a business standpoint, I guess if he wants to do it, they want to make him happy, but I can't believe Vince didn't put his foot down and say, no, we're not going to fucking, for the same reason, we're not going to book Brock Lesnar against flop dollar we're not going to book a main event celebrity attraction that saudi arabia pays money for and that does ratings against a mid-card guy because it takes some of the special away from logan paul and so they can press the envelope or push the envelope on the stunts and take a chance on him getting fucking hurt so i just to have a match that Logan Paul and Ricochet will have fun and do crazy stunts in that won't sell one ticket or entice 
any fan to watch it on purpose. I don't see the reason for that. I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. I'm actually intrigued to see because Ricochet's there, I guess, the greatest high flyer in WWE. And we're going to get to see him against someone who tends to do these things that you wouldn't think a newcomer would be able to do. It's going to be interesting to see a WWE style of high flying match versus what we see all the time in AEW. If they'd have started two months ago, what do you think they could have got in terms of drawing power, promos, segments, Logan Paul versus LA Knight? But the problem with that may be what I was about to say about the Ricochet thing. The biggest reason why I don't have a problem with it is name a match that Logan Paul has won. Hmm. So you think they're just doing this to give him a win? I don't think it's just that. I think it'll be a spectacular match. They're going to create some kind of viral moment. You hit the nail on the head. But I also think I can't think of too many matches. I can't think of any matches off the top of my head that he's won. He's come in a bunch of times now. It's not just a one-off thing. He's almost a semi-regular now. Has he won any If you're going to do anything with him, if you put him in there with LA Knight, one of those guys has to lose. I mean, it may be something down the road. I wouldn't want that right now. I think he needs a win. He's, he needs to beat someone. Ricochet is mid-card, so it doesn't mean as much as him beating maybe someone upper card, but you'll get a spectacular match that people in the building will like, and hopefully you get a Logan Paul win. And then we can have Logan Paul and L.A. Knight. Mr. Hollywood, Logan Paul, big celebrity, and here comes L.A. Knight and the promos and people would... Because the people dislike logan paul somewhat naturally and yeah. they're ape shit over la night that might be an idea for next time they go to saudi arabia <laughs> well for the record la night is not currently listed on the lineup well no if on smackdown he he gets a, a pre-tape where he basically tells old seamus that he'll be in the battle royal yes yeah, so the- <laughs> well, hopefully he wins that slim jim but jim the next match snap into it that in that the Intercontinental Champion, Gunther, versus Drew McIntyre. You know, I love Gunther. I don't know if I'm going to like this match. I like Gunther and Ilya. I like Gunther and I like Gunther and everybody. I guess I'll... Yeah, you like him and Riddle. Yeah, but here's what I'm afeard of. Drew McIntyre was holding him up for a new contract because he wanted to approve his creative. They better not beat Gunther and put the fucking belt on him. Maybe he was just happy just to be working with Gunther or whatever. I'm just, there's nothing wrong with Drew McIntyre. He looks good. He's got the size. He can work. He can talk. And he's been there and been doing all those things for several years. I've kind of seen it. Real quick side question. What would you do with Drew McIntyre right now? Just because he was a main eventer. He was a world champion during the pandemic. He's got size. He's got a look. But there's something that just feels not hot about him right now. Well, and the problem is they want uh, heroes for the United Kingdom. I'd turn him heel. I'd fucking have him stab all of his countrymen in the back. He could hospitalize Butch and fucking have Ridge arrested and stab Seamus in the back. Have Ridge arrested for what? I don't know. It just it, That'd be a real heel move. <laughs> fucking drop the dime on, on your boy. I don't know, but just do something different and that he can dig into. And the 
Remember when they were doing the sword thing and they kept having problems with the special effects where he, he would obviously not cut the rope and the rope would just whatever the fuck. It, it, for the same reason that I guess Vince just thinks that Charles Dickens is still alive. But all of the guys from the United Kingdom or the Irish guys or the Australian guys or whatever, they look like fucking... I'm not even stereotypes. Stereotypes of the 1850s, the brawling fucking brutes. My God, we've made fun of Butch. He's a, a Dickens urchin. And is there anything about Drew that's contemporary UK? Is there something going on now like the the sex pistols that's really cool there now for young people not like the sex I don't pistols, fucking no. know well that's the last time that i recognized anything that was cool for young people in england oh come on that's right. i'm just you know i'm just saying is there something 77 really okay i know it's recent but you know no is there is there anything fresh that we we know where he's from can he can he do something else we will find out but another match on the show speaking of something else jim a triple threat match for the wwe women's championship the champion oscar versus charlotte flair versus bianca belair well they've got the drama between charlotte and bianca and it's a three-way i mean my god it's not going to make a lot of sense but at least they got a story in it do you turn one of the women from what to what? Can you tell which is which now? If Charlotte's Charlotte, a, yeah, if Charlotte she's Bianca, either a smart-ass baby face or a polite heel. Bianca's happy and skipping no matter what happens. And Oscar, I know we know, is a heel because she's missing everybody. Well, Jim, the next match for the World's Heavyweight Championship, the champion, Seth Franklin Rollins versus Finn Balor. God damn it. I feel like I've seen this more than Bobo Brazil against the Sheik. Is this, um... You, ha you have. Fine... You have, because the good thing about Bobo versus the Sheik was a lot of it you only had to witness in photos. Yes. And it, it was actually, there was more action usually in the pictures than there was and we actually saw the match toward the end there. Um, they're doing this a lot. They're going to have a fine match. They're both pros. Finn ain't going to win it. Uh, it means nothing anyway because they just made it up and gave it to Seth. And there you go. Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar. On any other card, I would say that's this is the match that's selling the tickets. And it's one of the two matches that's selling the tickets anyway. And it's really one of the two matches that I'm interested in. And I've said this before. I think Cody needs a not clean you know, uh, uh, fucking boom, outdone, stand on his chest victory, but he needs a decisive win over Brock because they're one and one and Cody's came with a little bit of a fluke. So this needs to be the one where he slays the dragon in some form and gets his hand up, but he waltzes across Texas wearing gasoline underwear to get there. Does it have to be the end of Cody and Brock? It doesn't have to be because they're both going to coexist and think about this. If um, if Cody does win, it needs to be the end of it for six months or whatever or more. But if Cody wins the title at WrestleMania next year, 
Brock is naturally going to want a fucking shot at that. So at, and that would give it a fresh coat of paint. And finally, Jim, for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, the champion Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso in tribal combat. And we found out that tribal combat means anything goes. Lazy booking. Uh, I hope they don't. You know, Jay did the promo where he said, I can take that woman's shoe and hit you. And I hope they don't really garbage it out. I mean, it's a main event in the WWF. There's going to be a some kind of piece of furniture, probably the announced desk, maybe a chair involved, whatever. But I hope they don't, A, make it look visually ridiculous by setting the the stage or the ring with gimmicks and props. We mentioned that, you know, goddamn, they could have come up with something cooler or at least more unusual for tribal combat than no DQ match. Um, and, and, you know, again, I go back to the fucking, not a, not necessarily a chain match or even a strap match, but the old deal where, you know, you'd see the old Western movies and the Indians would be tied together with a leather thong and have something in their right hand or whatever the fuck. But hopefully it's, it's going to be a good match. People are interested in it. The uh, participants are family, so they're motivated to work with each other. And the question is whether they gimmick it up too much. And I think, obviously, Jay ain't going to win that title. He just ain't. Um, but I think they'll do something in the finish to make it not his fault. That's my prediction. Well, that is SummerSlam. Again, next Saturday, we'll be covering it right here on the show. We'll be covering it like Sherwin-Williams covers the world. But right, all right, we've talked about ramblings, we've talked about slamming, and now let's talk about slumming. Let's go to AEW from last Wednesday night. And Brian, that's July 26th for those of you with a calendar keeping track. How in the wide, wide world of sports does the same company that gave us the greatest television match of modern times two weeks ago perpetrate this on an unsuspecting public? Same company. Different night. It's almost like it's a different fucking genre of entertainment or a different sporting event entirely or whatever you want to call it. Um, We could certainly say that Collision... However much people like us like it, Collision's doing nothing to change Dynamite. The success of Collision critically has done nothing to change the way Dynamite's going. Not a thing. And from the start of It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. That means it's time to hold our collective noses and see how the Lilliputians are doing their wrestling these days. And you start the show with a billboard segment with a nobody in a mask screaming at you. And they were in Albany, New York, in the MVP arena, which I've been in when it was the old, what would they call the, they, they used the to call it the Albany, the Knickerbocker arena. <clears throat> now is, is the basketball team the MVPs now or what? No, the Knicks play in New York City at Madison Square Garden. They don't play up in Albany. Well, then why was the Albany uh, arena named the Knickerbocker arena? I'm not exactly sure, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't named. What is a Knickerbocker? York. It is the long form word for Knicks. The New York Knicks. 
Okay, but what is a knicker and and who does he bocker and how? Hold on. There's got to be. What is a fucking knickerbocker? Hold on. Knickerbocker. Yeah. A knickerbocker is a person from Manhattan before 1898. Or, excuse me. Well, no. It's just, it's what? Just, a knickerbocker is a person from Manhattan and then it says New York City before 1898. Uh, people, a Knickerbocker, includes a list of people with the surname Knickerbocker. There are the Knickerbocker Dutch, which are a Dutch-speaking cultural group native to New York and New Jersey. A Knickerbocker is a resident of New York City, otherwise known as a Manhattanite. And uh, that's really it. Okay, so, again... I don't know what Albany do has you, to do. How do you see some stupid son of a bitch walking down the street in Manhattan go, hey, I'm going to call him a Knickerbocker. What is a knicker? How do you bocker it? Is knickerbocker a town, a place, somewhere that people come from? Well, again, who's, who's before eighteen ninety eight, and and why and why did suddenly in eighteen ninety eight the 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 bockers became extinct and nobody was allowed to knicker them anymore? Was it made illegal? The Knickerbocker Arena was opened on January thirtieth, nineteen ninety, with a performance by Frank Sinatra. Was he a knickerbocker? After it was the Knickerbocker Arena, it was the Pepsi Arena. Then it was the Times Union Center, and it is now the MVP Arena. I remember the Pepsi Arena. I hate that when these arenas just sell their name and change it every few years. Whores. Whores. Anyway, I've been there when it was a variety of other named arenas, and it's a, a fucking NBA-sized arena. It seats like 16,000, 18,000 people, and I saw pictures, and I heard that it was a, a, a sad state of affairs at the crowd. Why are they running 18,000 seat buildings when they're selling five and 6,000 tickets to these things? Do we have any insight? Cause they, they don't reduce the rate just cause they, if you go in and say, look, I want to rent your building, but don't charge me full price. Cause I'm only going to fill up a third of it. Homie don't play that. So what, what anyway, again, we've heard a lot of questions about the way shows are booked how they're booked for large periods of time in certain geographic regions. There's been nothing but questions about AEW's live event booking. So Sockface blew a pitch. He's tried to pitch to the ring, but they were going to tape. And he's, oh, and then they went to the tape. And it was a Darby. This is the first of the show, right? They're going to a pre-tape with Darby Allen, but it was good. He was talking about A.R. Fox. And he, remember A.R. Fox debuted for AEW about six months ago, he's, I don't think he's ever won a match on television and you hardly ever see him, but now they're finally getting around to telling us whether we ought to like him or not. So Darby puts AR Fox over as far as Darby said, when, you know, when he left Seattle out, out of wrestling school and went to Atlanta to train, there was AR Fox and AR Farks, uh, Farks, AR Farks, <laughs> A.R. <laughs> Fox trained harder than everybody else, and they got to be friends. And then Darby said, so I was sleeping in my car in a parking garage, and apparently he was doing that for like, not for a night or two, but for weeks, like living in his car in a parking garage for a long period of time. And I believe him. And I'm wondering, has this guy ever heard of a fucking job? 
Why, just because you're going to wrestling school, does it necessitate you sleeping in your fucking car? I ran a wrestling school with a hundred people going to it at one at one time, and only about thirty-five or forty had WWF developmental contracts. But nobody was sleeping in their fucking car. They were waiting tables at Chili's. They had a part-time job somewhere. But nobody was sleeping in their car. Does he like sleeping in his car? I think so. Anyway, I digress. Basically, uh, A.R. Fox asked Darby what he was doing, where he was staying, and Darby said, I'm just winging it, sleeping in my car. So A.R. Fox said, come and live with me for free. That's the kind of guy he was. And this was a well-done video. A.R. Fox, through Darby's words, came off as a great guy. And now he's going to wrestle. And you're like, okay, I'd like to see this great guy. What? He's wrestling the mascot. They did a video like that, all about real life, to make A.R. Fox look like a, a great fucking benevolent person. And then they put him against another babyface, and not only that, but the babyface is the company joke. And now they've built him up, and they book him to get beat by the phoniest guy in the company. So that was the start of the program. And 20 minutes into the show later, A.R. Fox, the wonderful person and hard worker, <laughs> got beat clean by the company joke. And then sucker punched him and knocked him out. So they made him a fucking big baby face. Gave him a 20-minute match against a fucking clown. The clown beat him. And then they switched him heel. But then when he switched heel, he was reacting like, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I might have fucked up. And then Darby comes out and chews him out and argues with him. And the guy that just switched heel apologized for switching heel and walked off. And just then I wrote, I don't think he switched heel because everybody wants to sucker punch this fucking little idiot. And as soon as I wrote that, Moxley hit the ring and sucker punched the idiot again. He knocked him out and gave him the double arm suplex deal on his head and walked out. And as Moxley was walking out, Pockets is laying motionless in the middle of the ring and Sockface's pitches with this guy dead after having been turned on by his best friend and one of the top guys in the company. Switching gears one week ago on Dynamite and they pitched the blood and guts package. What the fuck was going on here? I don't know. I apologize for noise in the background right now. There's stuff going on outside, but I wasn't into this match. Not into Orange Cassidy. I've said it many times. Good video. One thing AR Fox does. AR Fox. AR Fox does. <laughs> it's AR Fox to you. One thing that he does that I hate more than anything. They're in the middle of the ring going back and forth. And he's throwing these kicks at him that would look good if his hands weren't right in front of his face doing a clap every time. He's not hitting his thigh. He's not hiding it. It's in front of his face. And he's clapping like that. That took me completely out of it. So even you more. actually watched the match? I did. I wanted to give AR Fox a chance. Well, why? The booker didn't. Well, that's true. 
But then uh, the post-match stuff. Again, the Darby AR Fox stuff is more interesting than anything else here, but then Moxley just out of nowhere. As soon as that happened, I was like, this is going to be a really bad episode of this show. <laughs> this well, is the worst way to I, start. I don't, I don't know whether we're going to see too much more interaction between Moxley and Pockets because Moxley is pissed by the end of the program. Did you catch that or was I the only one? Maybe you're the only one. We'll see what we well, do. Well, for the people with for the people with this episode on DVR, when I get there, I will point it out to you. I think Moxley had enough of pockets first night. Anyway, so that was over 20 minutes of the program. They they made a guy a baby face. They introduced a brand new friendship that we didn't know existed. They beat the fucking guy in a match on television with the most un impressive unintimidating person on the roster and then he apologized for turning heel so then renee moxley good was in the back with chris jericho and don fallis and the story again from don is the interest level from fans and even the potential of jericho joining the don fallis family is incredible and don's taking it upon himself to arrange a tag team match with Jericho and Take a Shit teaming up against a a top tag team. And is J Chris, are you willing to give it a try? Any kind of thing? Okay, yeah, I guess so. And their opponents are going to be Garcia and Guevara. And then Jericho's ah, and Don says, well, you said they needed to spread their wings and fly on their own. And so Jericho reluctantly agrees. And then Don gives Jericho a portrait of them together with Bad News Allen in the sky watching over them. And, you know, Don is, he's entertaining in a Weasley fashion in these things, but for this to obviously be a Jericho production behind the scenes is Chris's acting leaving somewhat to be desired in this thing because it especially later on when the jericho jobber oh society God. yeah this was it, this was bad but we can't even poke too much at this because of the segment later on which was truly atrocious but no jericho's acting is really bad here it's wwe level from like 15 years ago bad yeah uh and also i'm not a callous fan but if you were trying to make him this sinister heel manager, why is he doing this stuff with Jericho? Because nobody in this company is sinister. Nobody really means the things they say. Nobody is legitimate except for, and I was going to say, MJF used to be until we got the, the bro down and punk and it had you believe FTR. And otherwise, everybody's comedy sinister or comedy they're a satire of whatever their gimmick is they're winking at you so we're 27 minutes into the show and in the back there's claudio and useless wheeler useless and claudio is telling pack not to mess with the bbc when suddenly the plumber walks in still out of breath from beating up pockets and just walks over the top of Claudio, and Claudio, even when he comes in, goes, oh, and just shuts up without even being told, like a little lapdog. And Moxley acts like he just won a fucking jujitsu tournament. 
and he warned everybody out there that he was going to eat him or something. He said something about Clint Eastwood, but I don't even know what the hell he was talking about. I, I, you think you know, Clint Eastwood, you're big and bad. Like, what the fuck is he talking I get, about? He wants somebody to make his day. That's got to be what it is. Either that or he's just been to the movies. <laughs> uh, and then on this parade of terror when it comes to promos, Tony Schiavone was in the ring with Jack Perry, no longer Jungle Boy. And they play the Beethoven. And here comes Jack Perry again wandering out. But this time, instead of wandering out like he's confused like Jungle Boy did, he's wandering out just with no energy, chewing gum, carrying the FTW belt, wearing orange shorts, a black T-shirt that says, I beat Hook on it, and tennis shoes. And the fans are booing him. But, again, is there a way that he can appear less interested in what he's doing than he does right now when he go goes to the ring? I have no problem with it. I think he's doing fine as that, as the heel. He is right now doing better as a heel than he did as a babyface, and I don't have any problem with that aspect of it. No. I, I, I know he did a better promo as a heel. But he's still, I don't, it just, there's some element of low energy but you to know, him. The other issue is, and it is, and I think he's trying to get past that in his promos, because you can hear him start raising his voice, because he starts off, it's very like, you know, Chris Makepeace, like, and I'm going to tell you another thing, like, but then it gets somewhere. But the other thing is this, not to take anything away from Jack Perry, because I've enjoyed him so far as a heel, but we saw it with Don Callis, and it seems to have all begun with the Dominic Mysterio reaction. Yeah. WWE fans started booing and he couldn't talk. And then AEW fans wanted to copy that and started doing it to Don Callis. And everyone's like, look at how much heat he has because this much <laughs> older audience in the crowd is sitting there booing the way these children did at that other show. And now with Jack Perry, not to take anything away from his heel stuff. And I heard from people in the building that the boos were louder than they appeared on TV. Yeah, because it's a thing that the crowd has decided to do now. And that's not knocking anybody they can't control it but it's not like they suddenly want to pull out switchblades and stab this fucking guy no it's become the new this is awesome or fight forever yeah or you deserve it now it's just let's show them they're doing a good job as a heel and boo non-stop but wwe started it with dominic mysterio and now don Callis and jungle boy this is the new trend amongst wrestling fans but you, you know what it's going to be though it's going to end up being the new what because then when people need to be saying things and need to be heard, it's going to start inter interfering with performances. What would you do? I mean, you were someone who did a lot of promos where you talk for a few minutes at a time. Maybe not the same way they do it now, where it's just in the middle of the ring on a live show on TV. But if a crowd is booing like that, do you keep going or do you stop and acknowledge them? Well, I'm going to talk about that here in a second in this promo. But I will say that the difference was... Until the my 90s run with the WWF, we didn't do that many live in-ring promos, and they were two or three minutes. And a lot of time, old Crockett syndication, the live interviews were at, at ringside. And uh, sometimes those in TBS, I've mentioned this, the TBS studio, there wasn't a PA system. You weren't on a PA. It was a TV studio. So if you were yelling... The people could hear it unless they were doing the chanting 
Remember they do, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to. And Oli would scratch. Well, you're going to have to hear it. Um, you were just yelling. So it, a lot of times you weren't really trying to reach the entire arena with this long soliloquy to begin with in those days because they were loud and they were booing and they didn't want to hear your shit when you were a heel. You just did it. But with these long, drawn-out stories that started with 90s television where then everybody's got 20 minutes in the ring, and number one, it's going to get old, and number two, at some point, people need to fucking listen. So it may be, and if the AEW audience will do it to death, the WWE audience is only going to do it for Dom because they're satisfied with that. But they'll beat this thing to fucking death in AEW, and it'll get old, and it'll be a new what? Um, but what I was saying before, I I personally was okay with this segment for this heel Jack Perry. I actually liked it up until Jerry Lynn came out. It was it was odd at that point, but let's get to it. And here's where I was going to give the advice. He is better as a heel. He started the promo good, and I wrote they're doing the Dominic bit. He needs to keep the sunglasses on, and you've been saying this too. Every time he's doing that promo, he looks like an obnoxious prick with the sunglasses on. He takes the sunglasses off to look the camera in the eye, and he suddenly turns into a fucking teenage kid again. Yeah. He looks five or ten years younger without the sunglasses. Keep them on. And in this promo, yes, he's got more oomph as a heel. He had more energy. Sounded like he had more emotion. He needs to get more comfortable doing this because he was trying to cut a promo and at the same time react with disdain to the people booing him. But the way he was trying to promo and then looking at the people and it was, it looked like they were throwing him off and they may have been a little bit. Yeah. And again, we did hear that it was much louder in the building than it came across on TV and it was loud on TV. Yeah. So he needs to get more comfortable with doing promos and just occupying his space and taking over the ring and fucking being confident. And he needs to be able to work and react to the people with his facials or his pauses or his inflections while not interrupting his promo or his train of thought or by looking like he was thrown off. And, you know, you can do that. Again, you can be saying the same thing you were going to say if the people are getting on you. And you can acknowledge what they're doing just by changing your inflection, rubbing it into their face, and making your point, and then going back to whatever. You know, a little smoother, but he's getting there. And then here came Jerry Lynn, because he had been knocking ECW, and he knocked Taz and his dirtbag friends. And then Jerry Lynn comes out to take up for ECW. Now, what weekends? Moxley bleeds all over the place the week of the Abdullah the Butcher dark side, and then they come out here defending ECW the week of the Bam Bam dark side. But also, what is there? What is the demo? The big demo, Uncle Dave's demo that he likes so much. What's the age group? Eighteen to forty-nine. The key demo. Okay, ECW paved the way. What was it now? Twenty fucking seven years ago. So. Nine years of that demo wasn't born. It's Tony being a 90s fucking Attitude Era Monday Night Wars ECW garbage match. Mark, I like Jerry Lynn. Yeah, but can you imagine if Hulk Hogan in 1987 was confronted in the ring by Steve Stanley? Yes. 
And yeah, who the fuck do you think you are, Hulk Hogan? <laughs> Why, me and my brother Gene. Me and my brother and all of our old friends are going to come <laughs> here and take care of you. Uh, but that's that's the thing, is that... Is this really a, a hot-button issue to inflame people's emotions that Jack Perry is running down ECW, not only another wrestling promotion, but a wrestling promotion that went out of business 22 years ago, and Jerry Lynn, who is a producer for AEW, the company that's doing this television production, has to come out to take up for it. We paved the way. Yeah, we paved the way in furniture breaking and fucking drug addiction and injuries and shortened careers. So that's where Tony's head is at, making this kid hip by defending something that happened the same year of his birth. And Jerry Lynn said, you keep running your mouth and you'll get your ass kicked. And Jack said, I'm not dressed. How about next week? And that was it. Again, Jerry Lynn is a, a veteran, a coach there, a producer for whatever their work they're allowed to do and coaching they're allowed to do. But couldn't it be that Jack Perry fucking disrespected Hook or any other young talent that Jerry Lynn has been mentoring and it was a personal issue rather than I'm going to defend a defunct promotion that the boss of this company is a mark for? Make it personal. <sighs> but ne So next week they're going to fight when Jack is dressed. Anyway. Of all the people to defend ECW, Jerry Lynn. <laughs> Wouldn't have been on my list if I thought of uh, who would be the top 20 the, people that would defend ECW in wrestling. The, the, the best scientific technician uh, in, instead of the people, well, that's because Jerry's still able to form a sentence instead of getting his brain scrambled with chair shots and et cetera. Um, Britt Baker did a little promo about her match later on with Taya Valkyrie in the back. Promo wasn't bad. We'll get to the match shortly. But here was what we wanted to see. And I know I'm going into a lot of detail, but again, the problem is with the WWE program, nothing happens. Usually nothing amateurish or goofy or obviously unplanned or stupid doesn't happen, but nothing really good happens either. On this program, you never know what's going to fucking happen. And here came Pac, who we haven't seen in ages, and his opponent, as we made mockery of on the most recent program we did prefacing this, was Gravity. And I thought that gravity was usually the downfall of most of the fucking AEW roster because as if we know anything, we know that gravity is a harsh mistress. What was his nickname when he was in WWE? Remember he was Aaron, not Aaron Neville. He was something Neville. And then Wait a minute. Was he Aaron Neville or was he one of the other brothers? <laughs> he wasn't Aaron Neville. He was so, like Adrian Neville, I think it was. And then they made him just Neville. But wasn't his nickname... The man that Gravity forgot? Yes. Well, Gravity <laughs> remembered him and he came back to get even. It's been the longest feud in wrestling that no one yes. knew about. <laughs> and Gravity was announced at 78 kilos. And I think that's what Tony ordered last week to be able to put this program together. Oh, stop it. <laughs> it is a... 
<laughs> 78 kilos. Wow. And so here came gravity, and I wrote, it's a fucking guy in a hazmat suit. Because it was a fucking guy in a hazmat suit. He took it off when he got in the ring, but he came out. Either that or he was the fucking Stay Puff Marshmallow Man in the Macy's Parade or possibly a mascot for Michelin tires. But it looked to me like a hazmat suit. And Brian, did you watch this match? I did. Okay, can you help me out Probably with not. the start? Probably not, but we could try. When they went to the center of the ring and they began doing odd gestures to each other. And it, it devolved into finger pointing and arguing, but at first they were just making gestures. And I wrote, are they playing charades? What is this? Is, the, is this a play on something that gravity does in Mexico that we're not aware of because Isaac Newton wasn't from Mexico? I don't know what is hap what was happening. I can't help you. I don't know. Well, they played charades, and then they went to finger-pointing and arguing, and then suddenly, they broke into some tumbling. And then they were down to the floor, and then they, basically, between the ridiculous bumps, one guy was throwing 100 kicks, and one guy was doing 100 flips. I bet you can't guess which was which. And then Pac superplexed gravity off the top rope, and... Gravity worked. They landed, but he didn't cover him. He got a cross face on him, and either the referee stopped it or gravity tapped. I don't know. Gravity could have been weightless at that point. But it was just tumbling and kicking and flipping and about, and then boom. There you had it. Yep, there you had it. Ogie dogie. Then... Renee Moxley Good, who is extremely overworked on this program, was in the back. They never let her get in the ring anymore. With MJF and Adam Cole. And they're talking about the FTR match. And obviously, again, MJF did an entertaining promo with insults on Dax and Cash. He wasn't being, you know, a heel... MJF, he was being a babyface MJF, but making the pointed, little snide, potentially part-shoot comments about his opponents, and fired up about winning the tag team belts. And, again, he's good at everything he does. But I... The way that they're setting this up, Adam Cole either has to be a complete idiot and fall for MJF being a baby face when he's really going to fuck him or Adam Cole has to switch heel along with him. But the way that they're, it, it, so anyway, Adam tells MJF, Hey, just between us, right? <laughs> just between us, we're on television, but just, you know, this has become about friendship. I've enjoyed it. You've not only become a friend, Max, you become one of my best friends. And he got all emotional about it. And then MJF in kind gets emotional about this outpouring that Adam Cole has said where he, he really, you know, he's enjoyed it and he's become friends and they've bonded. And MJF says that 
I'm even going to give you a rematch, Adam, for my title after this tag team title match because it means so much to you. And Adam says, oh, you mean you'd do that for me? Here's my question before we get to Roderick Strong coming in screaming. Do grown men talk to each other like this in private, much less on television? This sounded like one of these lifetime movies for fucking disgruntled women. Do men of this age group now speak to each other about their emotions and their feelings and shit? Or is this completely just bullshit? Yeah, maybe the latter. Maybe. Probably. Completely just bullshit? I mean, I don't talk to people like this, but I'm not I don't everyone. talk to people, but when I was that age. When I was that age, I am not that much older than these guys. But I can't imagine uh, this emo stuff, no. You basically, if you wanted to show a friend of yours you liked him, you just go up and knuckle him in the fucking balls, right? No, that's actually wrong, too. That's what we used to do. Well, that's not, you but like we, your friend, that's you want to touch your friend's balls. No, not yes. touch them, wrap yes. them. Yeah. Like wanna, that. You want to be close to them. You just walk up and say, hey, you like real estate? Sure, let me give you a couple acres. Oh! So anyway, Roderick Strong comes in screaming and shoves MJF and, and is going, are, are you out of your mind, Adam? And Adam tells MJF, give us a second. And Adam tells Roddy that he's acting insane. And he tells Roddy that you, you, you want to be my friend, but you're pushing me away. You're pushing me away. <sighs> so Roddy tries to grab Adam's arm to say, to shake some sense into him. And Adam jerks away and says, boundaries, like MJF does. And there, so Roddy's going to cause an issue here. We know this much. We can see that coming. But it, it's not, it's not to me, this is the way it's being done with the entertainment value being accentuated. MJF is not being believable enough that Adam Cole should fall for this in my estimation. I guess that's my problem. It's all with tongue in cheek. I guess the problem is more what you laid out before. There's only one solution to this and that's just these guys continue on together because if one of them turns on the other one it kills the whole thing it ruins it makes the, the other one look completely stupid so i don't know and what they're gonna do and i you know it seems like they're setting it up so roddy would be against them but again you almost think it's a layup is that a false flag that roddy's gonna join them or something who knows but they've got something here the people have reacted to it for that reason alone it would almost be stupid to break up mjf and adam cole right now I think that MJF is going to end up assaulting Roderick Strong, possibly taking one of those various implements that they use in their no-DQ matches and beating him about the head and face with it. And Adam Cole is going to be mortified and shocked and still not do anything about it, and possibly even join in. You know what would be even worse, actually? Tell me if you think this will work. MJF kicks the shit out of Roddy and then ties him to a chair and makes him watch Brit's matches. Because then what's Adam going to do? You got something there. You know, it, it always begins with somebody kicks the shit out of Roddy, though. No matter what, every scenario begins with, okay, so-and-so kicks the shit out of Roddy. I mean, he's walking around the neck brace. He's begging for it. 
He's he's begging. He's he deserves begging for it. it. <laughs> he's be- see what you made me do, Roddy. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Renee Moxley, good. Speaking of people that make you do things, was in the back with FTR. <laughs> what? Well, she makes me change the channel when I. Cash was really good here. He started out. He was serious in his promo. Sorry that Adam Cole has been drug into this, but MJF is a horrible human being. And we're going to fix his little red wagon. And if Adam gets in the way, I guess mama says it bees that way sometimes. And then Dax fired up even more, saying that basically they're making a mockery of tag team wrestling. And there's going to be no fun because they've got to FTR of all people who are not only the best tag team in the company, but the most serious. And that's the reason why they're over has to acknowledge that this, the dance routines and the fucking all the comedy, they ain't going to fucking go along with all this bullshit. They're not going to fucking play that. There's going to be no fun and games in our match with them for the titles. And a boom, boom, boom. So at least they they actually gave FTR an interview to promo the match that's coming up on Collision imminently. And all I can say is they better not win the tag team titles because then you've got the heavyweight champion of the goddamn company also being the half of the world tag team champions with a fucking guy that, as his partner, that one of them's going to turn somehow very quickly. What kind of corner would that put you in brian oh i don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens uh the the problem with the promo was cash was really good dax reinforced how good mjf's impression of him was because mjf did a dax impression and he nailed it well yeah but he's got an accent and i it's not the accent it's every promo is the same thing i love my family i love the business i care so much about the business i eat dirt i'm from a mountain every promo is the same fucking thing and you could tell it definitely bothered him you know why because he mentioned it. No, he went to his temple more than once. Every promo starts with, he goes to his temple and stutter steps. Ah! This time he went to his temple, he kept going back to it. So it, that's how I think it really annoyed him. He kept going so to his you're, temple. So you're telling me that you're apparently the only Jew upset for somebody going to temple too often. You know what? That was such a good line that came out of nowhere. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. That's such a good fucking line. But yes, Dax is going to Temple too much, but he's not Jewish, so it's not allowed. <laughs> All righty. Well, well, we'll check in later on with his conversion. <laughs> so, <laughs> slapping my face. All right. Speaking of people getting their face slapped, whoever booked this next thing, Swerve Strickland against Darby Allen. Swerve had Prince Nana in the corner. Darby had little Nick Wayne in the corner. And the reason they're having this match, obviously, besides the fact that we've had the story with Nick Wayne being from Seattle, trained by his father, Swerve was from Seattle, Darby's from Seattle, they got the training background, they've been fleshing this out better than they do most stories, right? And that's why I was afraid of this match, because we've seen Swerve look pretty good, and we've already established that Darby... Against somebody like MJF or against a CM Punk or against anybody that is actually a good worker and knows what they're doing and how to lead a match, Darby is great and unique and fantastic and wonderful and just crazy go wild. 
But when he gets in the ring with somebody like Swerve that they've trained together and they're friends and they want to try everything in the world, that's when we get the aggressive parkour. Because there's no leader here to make the other guy have a match. It's how much can we do and how often can we do it. And so each guy can have a good match with other people, but they cannot overcome their worst instincts when they're working with each other and it ends up what we got here. And it started out that Darby was working a headlock. And then suddenly they broke out into palming each other off into tumbling routines. And by palm, I mean, they just put their hand on the head and shoulder of the opponent and wave their arm and magically the opponent runs the other way because it's a it's an Ed Sullivan show tumbling routine. And they're diving and rolling in different directions for no obvious reason other than it looks cool. And then they went to the floor and they set up the stairs and they did tumbling routines over and off of the stairs. And then they went to the break. And then they came back and there was more leaping and diving. And then Swerve gave Darby Allen a Death Valley driver off the second rope onto the apron, which should have hospitalized him. But he was going to beat the count by being in at the six count until a guy in a hoodie jumped over the rail and posted him, which he didn't even go off his feet. He bounced back to the middle of the ring so that Swerve could pull him back in. And hit some fucked up move. I don't know what the fuck he calls it. So Darby got a Death Valley driver off the second rope onto the fucking apron. Was down for a five count. Got run into the metal ring post. Didn't go off his feet. And was pulled into the ring by Swerve and given a finish. Then he beat him one, two, three. And son of a bitch, wouldn't you know who won the pony? It was A.R. Fox in the hoodie. And then he jumped on Darby. And so Nick Wayne came in to try to help with good God. I know the kid's a rookie, but he's been training and wrestling on low profile shows, whatever the fuck. He can't throw a punch. The punches were embarrassing and he threw a lot of them to make it worse. If you can't throw a punch, don't back a guy in the corner and start punching him. Do something else. And then they stopped him with a skateboard. <laughs> yes, you heard that right. And then while all the baby faces were laying there selling and groveling, they handed A.R. Fox a t-shirt so he could join the embassy. So he was apologetic for switching heel an hour ago, but now apparently he's going to revel in it. What about this match? I can't really add too much more uh, about this match. I agree with you. Obviously, these guys are very comfortable working together, and I think that comes across in the match. Comfortable. Comfortable. What do you think of A.R. Fox's big heel turn, considering the show began with a video about what an upstanding person he is to his students? <laughs> he brings in homeless people and lets them live with him for free, and then he stabs people in the back an hour later. I don't... <laughs> It would have been nice if we, when he first came in, we heard that about him from Darby Allen and established their friendship and maybe, I don't know, showed them being friends intermittently 
over the last six months. And then maybe when he stabbed Darby in the back, it would register with me, but he stabbed Darby in the back 45 minutes after I learned that he was friends with him to begin with. So, eh. so then they had a meeting of the Jericho appreciating jobbers, the judges, because these weren't the big time appreciators, Garcia, Guevara, Hager. This was Daddy Mac, Cool Hand Luke, Anna Jay, and Ty Melo Conti. And Ty Melo Conti has been out of action, and I remembered this. I thought, well, Jesus Christ, she's let herself go, but she's pregnant. She's pregnant. Okay, well, I remembered that. She let herself go. Well, because she was wearing a short-cropped T-shirt with her entire belly exposed, and why? She's pregnant. Why do I want to see that? That is, is a serious long-term medical issue going on there, and I don't want to be watching it or be reminded of the process while I'm watching my television program here. I mean, there, there's all kinds of shit that's going to go on over however many of the next several weeks that I don't want to think about it happening to the human body. It's gross. So she ought to cover that shit up. Anyway, <laughs> what? Having said that, they all. What are you? What are you doing? What are you upset about? You may have to cover that shit up. That may be. A it's belly. an ongoing medical situation she's got going on there. Her body is being contorted and distended in unnatural ways. No, it's a natural that, way. It's actually the natural way because it's childbirth. No, it's not a natural way for suddenly you to look like you just swallowed a watermelon. That shit's got to hurt. That's called pregnancy. That's natural. And that, that thing's going to come out somewhere, some way, sometime. You came out somewhere, someplace. Well, I didn't ask my mother to do it, and I'm surprised <laughs> she talked to me afterwards. It's going to come out, and it's probably not going to be a walk in the park when it does, and I don't want to be reminded of... of Flesh tearing and things being ripped what? to shreds and she blood is, and mucus and she's pregnant. It's a wonderful thing. Why are you reminded of all these things Lord. just by her standing there with her belly out? Because it's an ongoing medical issue. She could. She, she looks what? like she, with that distended what? stomach. What she could that? be malnourished. Like that's like when they have scurvy on a on the old medieval ships. Scurvy, really? On the medieval on the old medieval ships. You're an expert now in old medieval ships? Well, I certainly am. Just, I'll get medieval on you here in a minute. <laughs> but anyway, the whole thrust of this thing, <laughs> the, the interview I'm talking about, was that <laughs> you just can't get your head out. I'm trying to... Oh, please. The children, children don't need to be seeing stuff like this. The children, the children, in the 18 to 49 demo. Yeah. The 18 to 49 year old children that are taken up for ECW from 27 years ago. Don't need to be <laughs> seeing this woman and her stretched, extended, distended, unnaturally enlarged stomach that needs medical treatment. Naturally enlarged. And the medical treatment will be called childbirth. Well, there you go. They call it a birth canal for a reason. Yeah. Because it takes a fucking captain to navigate it. So the Jericho appreciators had a meeting and Ty Melo Conti's stomach was there. 
And there was this little voice saying, Rip me up. And then they were all telling him that he was being selfish and that it's always been about him and not about them. And they supported him and appreciated him, but he didn't give them the support and the appreciation because of this match with Garcia and Guevara coming up. And there was some really rotten fucking acting in this. I think Anna Jay may have been the worst because she had the most dialogue, but Everybody was pretty rotten. No, Jericho was the worst in this. Do you think? You're worse than Anna Jay? Anna Jay ain't bad. I ain't saying anything bad about Anna Jay. Oh, come on. Well, they all walked out of the room on him and left him standing there. Standing there confused about his next move. Well, this Jericho booking has been just amazing lately. Speaking of being confused about your next move. The next match was Britt Baker versus Taya Valkyrie. And I heard first thing on Thursday morning when I got up and looked at the Twitter machine that this had fallen apart and that this was just, this was horrible. And, and boy, people were just up in arms about this match. And I said, okay, I've heard that, so I'll watch it. And I'm trying to figure out, or I'm going to try to figure out what went wrong and when and why, and maybe whose fault it was or whatever. And I got to, you start the match, both these girls look great. They've got great gear. They're beautifully dressed out and made up. They've got good entrances. They look like somebodies. They look like stars, not like a lot of the average girls in, you know, Definitely in this company, they dress all of all of the WWE girls up, but these girls, they look like something. And in this Britt Baker, because of the, again, the booking, she got over as a heel, but then she became one of the AEW originals and the other girls are the heels. So she's a baby face. They like her, but she still does promos like a heel and has the bitchy attitude. But Taya Valkyrie, who came in, what, six weeks ago as a babyface and did the deal with Jane Cargill, suddenly just decided they decided she's a heel. So now she's the heel in the match, even though Britt kind of did a heelish promo. And Taya Valkyrie has good heel attitude and facials and body language. And they did a little wrestling. And Ty had used her size advantage to kind of toss Britt around or block some moves, but Britt used her speed and agility somewhat to work into and hold onto a headlock. And I'm thinking, okay, this is not setting the world on fire, but at the same time, it's not nearly as bad as the vast majority of AEW girls' matches. And then they did a running spot. And again, I don't know if the if the ladies have a lady agent or who the ladies' agents are, or if they just came up with this on their own, or if the I don't know what the fuck, but as soon as they did the running spot, this thing went to shit. Taya laid in a couple chops and clotheslines, forearms, and she hit the ropes, and then Britt kicked her leg, and they've started doing the thing. Not just the women, but the men. Where somebody's running toward you to do something, 
And if you kick their leg, they just instantly drop down and assume a position right there where they've been kicked with their leg out from under them so you can do some other offensive. And then they do multiple things. So Britt kicked her leg and went for the fucking curb stomp. But Taya dodged it, and then Britt dodged a kick, and the other dodged a kick, and Britt ended up in Taya's arms after taking a right turn to fucking hit the ropes, and and then they went for something, but both of them just fell flat, and I couldn't, I couldn't tell whether Taya was picking Britt up to do some kind of face plant thing, which is what it looked like, but the way that she kind of let her go on purpose. It looked like she thought that Britt was going to spin out with an arm drag kind of thing and do something I don't fucking know. But as soon as they did that running thing, it looked like shit. And and it, the running spot didn't make sense to begin with. There was too much ducking and dodging and too many people turning right angles to run and hit the ropes. And that's confusing to even really experienced veterans. So I don't know why they were trying to do all this shit. And Taya does not look good with ducking spots because she's got the same speed swing. And it just does, it just translates like she's doing her part and the other girl's doing the other part. And that's what this turned into. Everybody just doing their part. Um, they came back from the break and it was just, you know, some weak knees to the head by Britt. She kind of made an eh comeback. They did an awkward yay boo exchange on the forearms. They started running and ducking again. Britt whiffed a super kick to Taya that she sold anyway, but she was a foot away from her head. A couple two counts and then Britt actually did super kick her. And Taya has to stand up and bend over and wait, I guess, 10 seconds. And then Britt hits the Panama Sunrise. Two count. I'm like, Jesus, they need to go. And then Britt gets the glove and put the glove on. But Taya with kicks and a spear and went for the Glamazon deal. And Britt blocked it and spun out and got the lockjaw. So it wasn't a good girls match, but it I don't think it was top five rotten on AEW television. And Ty Valkyrie needs to stay away from both of them. Need to stay away from dodging and ducking and running spots with so many stages because that's where they fell in the hole. Ay, ay, ay. What'd you think? It was really bad. And... You know, we talked about it. It really first came up recently with the Britt Baker Anna J house show match footage that went around that AEW then had pulled down because they were embarrassed by it. Where, you know, I thought a lot of it may have been Anna J, but the more I've been watching Britt since then, I think it's Britt. The spinning, the running, the sequences. You know, we always talk about there's a difference between working and working the room, and just in your head, you have these sequences that you're trying to do, that your other partner has to be exactly there with you and the right size to do them. And, the, you know, it just it's too many yeah. things. And Britt Baker, it's, it's a Britt Baker problem. You know, everyone, not everyone, 
there's an audience for AEW that's constantly complaining about how weak in their eyes the women's division is booked. And you look at WWE, and someone sent me something the other day about this. Whatever you want to say about the women there that you don't like or the ones that you like, everyone's doing something. Everyone is in a program with someone. Everyone is feuding with someone. It may be something we don't want to watch. Even Valhalla and the model girl have a thing. They have a feud. It's not good, but they have something. In AEW, what is there? Jay Cargill walked out, apparently. I shouldn't say that. Jay Cargill doesn't look like she's coming back anytime soon. She never lost a match until she did. And then she decided, I've had enough. The Outcasts, is that even a thing anymore? Is that still happening? It's kind of disappeared, but no one really cared, beyond Tony Storm being really good. Britt Baker, who's she feuding with and why? Jamie Hayter's injured. Jamie Hayter's not around. Thunder Rosa walked into Tony Khan's office a few months ago. We've never <laughs> seen her since. Right? Did she ever leave the office? Yeah. No. Has anybody, has, have the authorities questioned Tony? You know, there are young people there, like a Julia Hart or a Sky Blue or even an Anna Jay, who may not be getting the reps and the in-ring time and who knows about the training. But even if they're going to be great, that's not going to happen right away. So the women's division is a complete mess where there really aren't any good defined feuds and people complain about that. But then you have to get to the quality of the matches. And there is where a lot of the argument falls apart. Well, and Britt Baker is over as a wrestling personality. If she does her promos or pre-tapes in the back, she does better there than in front of the live room. When she comes out there, they like her. They cheer for her. It's not as loud as it used to be, but they chant DMD. They like her personality. But it's just a trend of her matches where she gets lost or she doesn't, you know, something happens. It was even in like the early days of AEW, like one of the first matches we saw, she got concussed or something and she tagged the wrong corner. <laughs> yeah, but, but well, that wasn't her fault because somebody fell on her head. One of the many times somebody, but here with Taya Valkyrie too, I'm going to give her a piece of advice because I've been a fan and I love the Frankie Monet looking gimmick at NXT and they botched that up on her. But she's been trying to work these other girls' matches. And I know she's worked in Mexico a lot because she, you know, had to work independently. She wasn't on either WWE or AEW television. Get Mexico and get Lucha Libre out of your fucking vocabulary now. You're on American television on a network. Taya Valkyrie is fucking gorgeous. She looks like a star. She's got a fucking different look. And she's got the size. And she has all the ring wear and wardrobe. And she can work American style. You want to see her bullying the smaller girls and using her size. You want to see her lay the fucking chops in and do regular wrestling shit. She doesn't need to do these fucking running, flipping things. That's for the fucking little girls that don't have a fucking look. Everybody can do that. I wish she would work American style. I wish they would concentrate on her valley girl voice with her heel promos and the heat she can get by being a, a bitch and, you know, looking obviously condescending at everybody else and flesh that out. And you'd have a personality in your women's division instead of another miscellaneous 
fucking girl wrestler. So that's my advice to her. And, you know, and again, I'm seeing these, not only the girls here, Britt Baker did it once. I've seen guys doing it. They're ducking shit and turning and hitting the ropes at right angles. Do you even understand what I said there? I do, but explain it to the listeners. Well, it, inst- if I'm running at you and you're going to clothesline me and I duck the clothesline, instead of continuing to run in the same direction, I duck your clothesline and turn right 90 degrees and head to the other ropes. And well, what the fuck? It, it, they're trying to make everything so tit for tat and complicated, and especially when everybody goes into the multiple blocks of things or multiple ducks and blocks of things like some kind of fucking cheap golden harvest kung fu movie it just degenerates into phony shit and people lose their track of their shit it's too contrived it doesn't look good and it causes people to get lost so let's do more of that anyway well, you got some content here the con- the contents of this program the remaining effluvia in the bottom of the barrel The main event was a three-way triple threat tag team match with the BBC against the Lucha Brothers against the Puddin' Gang. And I wrote, seriously, again, two weeks ago, the best TV match in the modern history of pro wrestling on television, and now the Puddin' Gang is in the main event. I didn't even know they were still there. I thought they were ones that... Tony politely and quietly let Slink off into the darkness when their contracts expired. He's still paying these fucking guys. Yeah, he likes them. So that was the main event. And the first two teams started a fake-looking fight in the middle of the ring while the BBC was still on the way through the arena. And, of course, once they got there, it immediately went to the floor. And I had to make the decision, do I waste 20 minutes of my life to watch this for shit to make fun of the plumber for? Or do I skip ahead to see what happens at the end because I'll have no shortage of material because every time the plumber shows his face, he does something for me to make fun of him for. Yeah, copacetic. And that one pretty much won out. I said, I'll skip ahead to see what, because they can't expect that people sat through 20 minutes of this. For no reason. Nobody wants to see the Puddin' Gang to begin with on anything. Their family don't want to see them when they come home at night. They're like, oh, God, you again? And the Lucha Brothers, wherever the fuck they've been, what the fuck did that have to do with the BBC? And why is this match happening? So that they can do another 20 minutes of the shit they all do. And that's what they did. And then the finish was both of the Lucha Brothers were laid out. And Moxley and Claudio gave pile drivers to and kicked the shit out of both of the Puddin' Gang. And I'd skipped ahead to about five minutes off the air, right? And nothing was happening. The fans were silent. And, you know, they're just doing their shit, the BBC, acting tough. And then here comes Pockets music. Because remember, the plumber jumped him earlier in the program. So Pockets comes out, and Wheeler Useless runs toward him in the aisleway, and he jumps up and knocks Useless out with one punch. And then Moxley meets him in the aisleway and takes over on him immediately. 
Because apparently Moxley ain't going to play that shit. He's not going to go down to the Superman punch delivered from the garden hose arm with the mosquito bite bicep of our little mascot pockets. So Trent gives Claudio his finish in the ring, but the referee won't count because he's not the legal man. They have just had a match where for 20 minutes, all six of these fucking goofballs have been doing any goddamn thing they wanted to do at any time right in front of the referee. <laughs> and there's, as you'll recall in triple threat matches, no DQ, lazy booking. But we're going to tease that the Puddin' Gang might just win this thing by the illegal gay. Okay. How would they even know? How could they keep track? So then Moxley has choked the mascot out on the floor. But meanwhile, the match is starting again in the ring. And somehow, Penthouse of the Lucha Brothers beat Trent, one, two, three. And the Lucha Brothers were celebrating. And then Mox and Wheeler were over there look, talking to each other, looking pissed. So Moxley gets back on pockets. And they all have a bad, phony-looking eight-way all over the floor. But if you go now, <clears throat> and you go back and you look at this match on your DVRs, folks, Pockets gets Moxley up on the floor, up against the barricade in front of the front row, right? And he is throwing these ludicrously phony-looking punches at Moxley. And Moxley is just sitting with his back on the fucking railing and... And apparently, Moxley is either legitimately pissed at something that the guy has done before, something that's gone wrong, or now he's just pissed that this guy's back on him and he, his shit looks like shit. I don't know what he's mad about. But Moxley yells at Pockets, stands up, puts his hands on his hips, and walks off and leaves the whole fight. Gets over the railing and walks out into the arena with his hands on his hips while everybody else is fucking fighting. So he can't even be professional when all the other fucking amateurs that he's involved with fuck up. Do you, did you notice that? I didn't notice that. And it was hard to, you know, I wasn't really into this. It was the end of the show. And I hate so many of the wrestlers yeah. in this. The one part I did notice though, cause I was like, what is he going to do? I think it was Chuck threw Moxley off the stage before a big dive onto several people on the floor. Moxley goes off the stage lands. What do you think he does next? Gets right back up. No, he rolls. And then oh, he, he rolls. He did. I was like, is he going to roll if he's not leaving the ring? He got thrown to the floor. Then he did a ninja roll and popped back up to catch the guy who was going to jump on him. But yeah, that, that last little bit there, the little pockets is all over the top of him. And he just he, he's just sitting there and you can see his face like, get the fuck off of me. You can almost read his lips. And then he stands up, puts his hands on his hips, walks away from the fight, climbs over the fucking rail walks out into the arena with his hands on his hips. Everybody else is still doing their fake fighting. So he's pissed off about something. Because, you know, not everybody has the exacting high standards of the plumber. Who do you think is more valuable to AEW? Seriously. Orange Cassidy or John Moxley? <laughs> not for which, what we which, think, but just for well, AEW's you know, business you know, itself. Which would I prefer, the gas chamber or the electric chair? Moxley, obviously. He's a name that people have heard of. His matches are not only just as bad, but even more insulting because he's supposed to be a real wrestler as, as opposed to a comedy gimmick. 
but uh, Moxley would be more valuable just because you could actually, you can put him in a main event on a pay-per-view and for that audience, they'll buy it. But even that audience, especially after the last, what has it been, 30 weeks in a row that this fucking moron has been put on our television just because the the boss thinks he's cute. They've seen through it by now. All right. Well, a rather weak edition of AEW Dynamite, and that was it. July what 26th. Were the rate, how weak were the ratings, and did did anybody, did they give up hope when the first match was AR Fox and fucking pockets for 20 minutes or did they wait until they found out they were getting pudding gang in the main event to fucking bail on mass AEW dynamite July 26th on TBS was watched by 898,000 viewers. So my God, they were down from blood and guts, but up about 50 or 60,000 from what they've been doing on this fucking crummy press. They ought to thank their lucky stars that this got a rating. Well, Jim, let's go to the breakdown of the different quarters. Of course, these were pulled by WrestleNomics. Quarter 1, 8 to 8.15 p.m., the Darby Allen AR Fox video and Orange Cassidy versus AR Fox with picture-in-picture, 985,000 viewers. Much better start. I can't remember last week. Last week was the big blood and guts, but much better start than they have been doing. And apparently by the overall average, they didn't keep all of them. Well, quarter two, 8.15, 8.30 p.m., the final five minutes of Cassidy versus Fox, the post-match with Darby Allen and John Moxley, a recap of blood and guts, the Chris Jericho Don Callis promo with Renee, and an ad break. Good Lord. 975,000 viewers. Good God! They kept all but 10,000 through that misery. Sometimes you either have to wonder about the Nielsen services or the average American public. Or misery. But quarter three, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m., the Claudio Castagnoli Wheeler Utah promo interrupted by John Moxley, the Jack Perry in-ring promo interrupted by Jerry Lynn, the Britt Baker promo, and the beginning of Pack versus Gravity, 997,000 viewers. <laughs> and the high point, 441 in the key demo. Good Lord! They, they, wait a minute. So, Tell me again what was in that quarter. Okay, it was the Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta promo interrupted by John Moxley. It was the Jack Perry in-ring promo interrupted by Jerry Lynn. It was the Britt Baker promo and the beginning of Pack versus Gravity. And more people watched that 15 minutes than watched any por portion of their blood and guts match last week that they hyped for weeks and weeks. How the fuck does that make any sense? I don't know, but let's uh, go forward and see how and, this works And apparently out. we're coming to a cliff. Well, that cliff, 8.45 to 9 p.m., the continuation of Pack versus Gravity with picture-in-picture, picture, the MJF Adam Cole promo, an ad break, and the FTR promo, 863,000 viewers. Ouch! Okay, there's 134,000 that they... Were they waiting to hear something 
did they tune in for some reason? Was it MJF and Adam Cole? And they say, okay, they've been on. You know what? Sometimes I wonder if you're someone who's just a casual viewer who likes wrestling and you watch AEW and you see it and the show opens with Orange Cassidy, whatever we think of him, you recognize him. You know who he is. You may watch Darby Allen. Same thing. Moxley. Same thing. Pack versus gravity. All of a sudden, you have Pack against a guy you've never seen on this television show ever before who looks like yeah. a generic guy. So I think that's part of it. Well, who knows? And, and you issues. know, and, and I've said in the past, the, the Nielsen ratings, especially years ago for local television, were fucking bullshit. I found that out 25 years ago with OVW when the infamous test pattern quarter was the highest rated quarter of the show. But that's local television. If three people go on vacation, your program can die but this is national numbers and modern times they they got to be they got to be on the ball but jesus christ all righty so they got up to a million for a dreck segment and then lost one hundred thirty-five thousand in 15 minutes where are we going from here we return with quarter five the big nine o'clock hour nine to nine fifteen p.m swerve strickland versus darby allen with picture in picture nine hundred and eleven thousand viewers and then suddenly they gained 58,000 back. And for Darby and Swerve. <laughs> Again, this ain't holding out a lot of hope for the Pudding Gang, but keep going. Quarter six, 9.15 to 9.30 p.m. The post-match angle with Nick Wayne, A.R. Fox, and of course Swerve Strickland and Darby Allen. The Jericho Appreciation Society confrontation backstage. An ad break. And Taya Valkyrie versus Britt Baker with picture in picture, 855,000 viewers. And they lost those 58,000. They gained back in another 8,000 on top of that. So uh, people tuning in at the top of the nine o'clock hour to see what's going on. They see Darby and Swerve, and then they ain't sticking. Quarter seven, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m. The final five minutes of Taya Valkyrie versus Britt Baker. Various pre tape promos. An ad break, and the entrances and beginning of the match for the three-way main event, 815,000 viewers. And another 40,000, and we're down 170,000 from the start of the program. And finally, quarter eight, 9.45 to 10 p.m., the Lucha Brothers versus John Moxley and Claudio Castagnoli versus Best Friends with picture-in-picture. 781,000 viewers. And that's what I figured. And we there go another 19, 20, 34,000 people, and they ended up 204,000 down from where they started, or, by my math, about 21.5% of their viewing audience is what they lost from start to finish, which is about normal. But they started with more, and they kept more early, but they still lost the same amount by the end. And now, regardless of whatever ever we say about these shows, Brian, there have been shows that I will readily recommend, rec- readily admit and or recommend that were much better than this show that they've done, and we still didn't like them, and they didn't do anywhere near this viewership. Why did this many people watch this crummy show? I don't know what the competition was that night, but usually that plays a big part of it. There's no Vanderpump. There's no NBA championships. A lot of the things that have 
thrown things off in the past are not there right now. And we'll see how long this continues. Again, they got a lot of people in there. Beyond that, it was not a great episode to get them to want to come back. Or even to stay. But yeah, but they ought to, again, they ought to be turning cartwheels. They got that number for this program. But again, the main event was what glared at me. I mean, you know, we're used to crummy segments in the Wednesday night program on a regular basis, but why did they think that anybody wanted to see that main event? As a question that people will be asking themselves for many years, but that was AEW Dynamite. It certainly was. Well, let's move across the street. Well, it's the program that layeth the smacketh down on the ratings of all the other programs, both WWE and AEW. It is, of course, SmackDown, and that took place on Friday night, July 28th. Would you like to talk about that now, Brian? Would I like to, or (laughs) do I think it's probably the best thing we should do? I phrased that imperfectly. Are we... Are we tasked with the responsibility of briefly reporting what went on? Yes, we have been tasked with that responsibility. Uh, basically, for all the, the listeners out there, the people, the cult of Cornette, who either don't have two hours or just don't want to be witness to it, would rather just hear about it in their heads while they're going about their day. Um, it was the bloodline and, you know, and others. It's almost like Rocky and friends, bloodline and others. As long as you know you're getting Rocky the Flying Squirrel, what the fuck does it, difference does it make whether you get fractured fairy tales or whatever the case? Well, it does make a difference. Sometimes you want Dudley Do-Right or something. But let me ask you this before you even get to the review. Having seen this episode now and remembering what last week's episode was, would you say this was a missable episode of SmackDown or did people wanting to stay in touch with everything happening need to see this week's episode? Well, no, you you need to see what's going on with the bloodline, although they'll recap it, you know, before uh, SummerSlam. <laughs> he should have shot him off and called SummerSlam. I'm sure they'll recap it next week. I I, I don't think anybody's going to be out there committing Harry Carey or even Harry Carey Jr. because they missed this episode. But, the, the you know, it's the bloodline and others. And they started out with the bloodline. Uh, main event Jey Uso in the ring, and he has time to introduce himself. Main event Jey Uso is in your city. Or was it state? Was that what he sounds like? Well, and I wasn't trying to do the whole, you know, the whole presentation. Well, no, he actually got the intro. The ring announcer announced him as being in there, but he was already in the ring. But he was, he was also, he was in the city or the state. It was New Orleans. It might have been the county. Yeah. He's there. He's in there. He's there. And in here. God damn it. We're just we're just making mockery of this shit now at this point. No, but here came Roman. As soon as Jay mentioned where he was. And they do the entrance, and at least now they've quit Ribbon Paul, or maybe he's he's made a plea for mercy because he wasn't carrying the belts, he was carrying the tribal lay. Which I would think the flowers weigh less than the the metal does, but Roman has his one, the new gold belt, and the blue one and the red one, Paul left, he's got the lay. So he's, right there, he's expending, what, 400 less calories per per television program. He's going to balloon up even bigger now. And he finally gets laid. 
And he finally gets that. Thank you. I I liked that better when I used it on Shivani in 1987, but you can have it for now. Well, every 30 years you can recycle. Well, that's true. And it's been 30, 37, as Luke and Butch would say. <laughs> the old sheep herder fans will get that one. Anyway, so we're going to stall a little more before we talk about this pro. No, it's six minutes into the show, Nolens, Louisiana, or as we used to call it, uh, when we work Mid-South, Lousiana, Nolan's acknowledged Romans six minutes into the program. So we got Jay introducing himself and Roman walking to the ring for six fucking minutes. And the people were glued to the sets. So Roman says that Jay forgot that Roman opens the show because it's Roman's show. And Roman made Jay his right-hand man, made him main event Jay Uso. Did everything, you know, that has ever been done for him. And now Jay's trying to open his show? What are you, the tribal chief? He delivered it just like that. He was imitating me at the time. And Jay, of course, is anguished and 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 in, in deep emotion where he didn't want any of that. He He tried to support Roman. I believed in you, but you broke this family. You broke Jimmy. You broke it. I have to do what I have to do. It's all your fault. But then Roman, Roman turned it around in his best Stanislavski method acting, as opposed to the inside the actor's studio. Is James Lipton still alive? He was surprisingly old. No, he's dead now. Is it? Can we play a little Reggie's Corner for him? No, he's not a dog or well, a cat. Some of, the, some of the people that were interviewed by him may have a different opinion. It, it, wasn't that one of his questions? If you were a cat, what would you do? That was not one of his questions, no. So anyway, Roman, back to the actor's studio. You and we're cats. On, we're on Broadway here, baby. Roman says, it's Jay's. It's all your fault. Jimmy was hurt. That's why you became the right-hand man. And and say like Jimmy's hurt now, and that's why you get a match with me. Solo loves and respects me more than he loves and respects you. So when I beat you, you're out. You're done. You're you're finished. But what about? Let's just entertain the thought, just for shits and grins. He didn't say. But what if what if you do beat me? Roman says. Then you get the belt and the lay and all of it, but I'll always be Roman Reigns, and you ain't got anybody. You ain't got nobody. Nobody. And he really fired up asking why that Jay would think that he could possibly beat him. And the Uso chant gets going. Uso, Uso. At least he's got a short name, so they got more wind for it, and they can get it. The, the rhythm is easy. And Jay says, it's because I already beat you, and I'm the only one that's done it. And at SummerSlam, I'm going to beat you again. And boom, scene, music, out. And that was the opening segment featuring the bloodline. I, what, did you, what did you think, Brian? Did you, what did you think of the dramatic renditions of this week's wrestling program? Before they started all that pesky wrestling. I think I said it last time we talked about SmackDown. 
they're all really good in what they're doing, but I'm a little sick of, at this point, them standing in the ring together at the same time and talking to each other. How many times does that have to happen and it ends with someone getting super kicked? Or spiked. Or spiked, right? Every single time. Or speared. Time. Yeah. It's so- a three S's, super kick, spikes, and spears. That's good. See, I just named somebody's new podcast. Or banned. I think that's too long for the marquee. What marquee? You think there's still marquees? Well, that's true. There's 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 plenty of marks, but there's not a lot of marquees. Anyway, so there you go. So that was, but now there's more to come. Oh, there's going to be some more to come. What do you think about that, though? The fact that, again, there's still, at this point, it's one thing like one guy's all the way on one side of the building and one guy's in the ring <laughs> or something, but they're just in the ring again, face to face. We've already established that they're having the match. Should they still be doing this? Well, I wouldn't mind Paul being in the ring because, you know, what he couldn't whip cream with an outboard motor at his aged, elongated uh, or, you know, expanded condition. But I believe if I was Jay, I'd say, look, Brother Solo, you can't be in the ring with me because you're going to try to spike me because you're a loose fucking cannon. And I, I would have learned after the first, what, four to six times, I think. Because it's coming. Let me ask you another question, because it hit me watching this. I don't have the answer, so I want someone else's opinion who will get in trouble for their answer. (laughs) Do you think Jay's as over as Sammy was at the beginning of the year? No. In in a slightly different way, though, here's the thing. Sammy was getting over just as... (sighs) As Sammy and they loved him and he was the the cute guy and and said the cool thing. He he's just a a nerdish, unoffensive guy that people would like, right? In that group trying to stir things up. But at the same time, that that overlapped, unfortunately, now with him and Temper Boy Owens and whatever the fuck, the bum of the week club that they're going through, they've kind of lost some of that. But I felt like Sammy, the people loved him particularly, sort of like a Mick Foley type of deal, that hangdog droopy expression sometimes. Whereas they like Jay now because he's, they think he's going to try to kick Roman's ass. But I'm not sure they would just be loving Jay unless he was in this particular thing right now. As much as Either they do or they did Sammy. Does that make any sense? Makes perfect sense. So anyway, here's another thing that didn't make any sense. <laughs> the uh, No, we said what they were going to do last week with Rey Mysterio and our friend Pablo Santo Escobar, uh, where the winner gets a U.S. title bout, and obviously Escobar is the the pupil or the protege and Ray is the teacher or the mentor, the hero, whatever the case. And they've come down to where they're going to have this match. And I predicted they're trying to make Escobar the new younger generation, full-time Hispanic superstar. So Ray would, would he would need, Ray would need to not only give his blessing, but he would need to be able to defeat Ray in a clean fashion to kind of get that torch passed, and then they hug or hold their hands up or whatever they're going to do. Well, come to find out that's what they were going to try to do, but fate and concrete intervened. 
The bell for the first match, by the way, was 25 minutes into the show. And they did the handshake and clean wrestling. And then tempers started to flare mano a mano. And they traded some slaps. And Escobar rolled out and Ray could hit his dive because they got to go to the break in two minutes. I don't know that they made two minutes or not before the break. But they had, a, obviously, more planned on the other side. Or... um more than they got out at least. But when they came back, you know, Ray was in control, but Escobar took over and they were going back and forth, still clean. There was no heel turn. I don't know how much more they had planned, but to me, it never got into high gear. And it seemed like Escobar was kind of, you know, mono face, just uh, maybe is he trying to remember he's nervous. He doesn't want to fuck up in this, situation my god whatever the case but it didn't feel like they really and also uh, part of ray's appeal as we mentioned in every match he fights from underneath because the size difference and a big heel that's on him and he couldn't really get sympathy against a, a guy that they're having he's having a clean match with and is not trying to fuck with him in any way so it, but it was they were doing all their stuff and then Ray misses the baseball slide dive, on purpose misses it, where he's going out under the bottom rope at Escobar. And Escobar gets in and hits a big flip dive over the top and fucking boom, hits a uh, just a shoulder block. It wasn't like a real dangerous thing. And Ray goes down backwards, and that's their break spot to go to break again. But apparently Ray rattled the back of his head on, it was either the concrete floor or the edge of that entrance ramp. And through the commercial break, he was out of it. And when they came back on the other side, the doctor was already checking him, obviously. And they just had to have the referee call it. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't get his shit together because his bell had been rung. So come to find out since that happened that they were originally going to, Escobar was going to win, so they got the right result, but he was going to do what we predicted and he was going to beat him and they were going to shake hands and or do another segment afterwards with Ray validating him, which he didn't get a chance to do. So give me your thoughts of the match, but also... Does this tell anybody anything that one of the most experienced, safest guys in the world and another guy doing something to him that wasn't particularly dangerous as the curve is graded on these days, and he gets his brain scrambled? It can happen for it, at anything, so why push it is what I'm saying. I thought the match was okay, and I agree with you. They clearly want Escobar to be a big star, and I just saw some footage of him, Cody, and Charlotte with, a, I guess, a meet-and-greet before a show, and Escobar was really, really great with a fan who was emotional for meeting him, a young fan. So you could see why WWE likes him. And he's talented in the ring. You know, this went awry. As far as your question about, I mean, I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, the one thing to think about is how many guys throughout the years got rattled like that and continued because there was no protocol because people knew what concussions were but didn't realize the long-term damage of them. You know, how many guys saw stars and kept going? 
You know, well, when, they, I, when they showed the replay coming out of commercial, I kept looking for his knee because I didn't even really understand what was happening yet. So I kept thinking, oh, he must have hurt his knee just because it's Rey Mysterio. When they showed the replay, you can see his head go down, and even though he was obviously going backwards and he was tucking with the momentum or whatever the case, and when he goes down, his head goes whoop one time backwards and you hit bounce. And I couldn't tell whether he had slid into the edge of the entrance ramp or it was just the floor, the boom. But when you see that fucking head bounce once, and the thing is, I don't think he could continue because it's Ray Mysterio. If he could have, he wouldn't have uh, been there for a while and, and the doctor wouldn't have got involved if it was one of the old-time deals where, oh, I'll shrug it off. I don't think he could shrug it off for long enough that, you know, in the old days, he, he would have got counted out. But, you know, that's the thing is, it can happen. You know, Rude took that uh, crossbody from Sting. In Japan. In Japan on that, yeah. on that screwy stage they had the ring sitting on because it was in the Tokyo Dome. And that's what fucked his back up for good. And normally that wouldn't even have been there. But, you know, there's you can never tell when there's some kind of fucking stumbling block laying around. And maybe that's where Sean got the idea for the casket spot. But, uh, Jim, let me ask you this. When we're talking about all this happening and we're looking at everything that is hot right now in WWE, what does it say to you that Austin Theory is kind of an afterthought? We haven't even talked about him. Well, yeah, because he's always sitting in the fucking stands watching... You know, whoever's going to, uh, this whole tournament to determine who's going to wrestle him. But in the meantime, he's just sitting up there eating popcorn. And it, it, you know, they, I, maybe somebody somehow sold this idea on a boy. It'll, you know, it'll really build up somebody for theory, but in the process, they've, you know, just had theory sitting around watching what's going on. And I imagine he was not going to be interfering in this even originally if it had gone the way it was supposed to go because it you know there was no reason for it escobar was winning so i you know yeah he's kind of hey but really i mean you know we still got the bloodline and la night well speaking of la night so skid row is in the ring and they spoke for 20 seconds, and... They're the best. I, I'm, I've become such a big fan of theirs. They're the best. Well, again, it's like... <laughs> it's like every time they're in the ring, you're watching a comedian die at a comedy club. Because they're try they're acting like the shit they're saying is over and interesting, and people are reacting to it, and everybody's ignoring them. And it's not good. It's not good banter. But they don't but then, stop. That's what makes it. Yeah. It does nothing to affect their confidence. That's what makes it so <laughs> People are just, they don't give a shit about any of this. And they just keep going and they're confident and they're just convinced that they're doing good stuff. If if they were pelting B-Fab with rotten egg, she would still be strutting around like, look at me. <laughs> oh my God. But they got 20 seconds to talk uh, and, and uh, interplay with each other. And then here came the L.A. Night music and entrance, and he got a huge pop. And he's talking his way to the ring, and he called, he called Flop Dollar Uncle Phil. Oh, God, that's perfect. 
Um, and somehow he got to where he said that BFAB was horny for him. I'm not sure exactly how he got there. But there was the match was L.A. Knight against Shanty Adonis because they won't let Flop Dollar wrestle anymore, apparently. And again, you know, it, it, within, you know, a couple seconds, Adonis starts healing on L.A. Knight and takes over on him so he can sell a little bit. And Flop Dollar takes a little cheap shot, which the camera cut away from the first time. He can't get a break. And within 60 seconds, L.A. Knight makes comeback, nails Flop off the apron. It looked like somebody deployed an airbag wearing a hoodie oh, when he on. fell off the apron. Come on. That's <laughs> I just, did you see? It was great. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's, he's my hero. And then <laughs> your hero. Yeah. <laughs> and then L.A. Knight hit the L.A. Knight elbow and hit his finish one, two, three. And the whole thing didn't take what two, two and a half minutes. But at least L.A. Knight's beating people. He's super over. He's more over every week. We haven't even hit a point where he's less over at all yet. He's more over every single week. I think he should come out, bend over, and fart into the microphone and let the people give him a standing ovation just to prove he can do it. That should be how he gives notice. <laughs> no, I'm serious. How do you come back the next week after that? But don't you think if he just came out and said, let me talk to you. I want to prove a point and bend over and fart in the microphone. I guarantee you the place would blow. So he would just fart in the microphone. He, he would wouldn't just like fart talk with microphone. his ass like Jim Carrey style or anything. No, he would fart in the microphone and the people would blow and give him a standing ovation. And then, and then he, he would do? point three times, L.A. night. Yeah. And he'd leave. And then you retire the microphone. Would you just get a new windscreen? Because that's what those things are for, right? Well, it's wind the if other you, way. But If you break wind <laughs> with the wind screen, the wind screen breaks the wind. So oh. in the back real quick, uh, are they remaking the Hurt Business without the original cast? Bobby Lashley is sitting in somewhere fancy looking with uh, the street party. Or the Private Profits. What, what is their Street name? Profits. Private, Street Profits. Private Party was on the other company. Hey, what happened to Mark Quinn? He, I think he's hurt months ago. But anyway, so these guys are talking to Bobby Lashley, and he wheels in a rack of suits for him. And that's the end of the piece. Just he commented on the one guy wearing a sweats, and he brought the suits in. And that, so... They can't seriously think that if they put him with two other different black guys just because they're wearing suits, that people won't notice that they're copying what they did with two other guys here just not that long ago. Or maybe and where's MVP? Well, that's what I was going to say. There's no MVP, no Omos or Omas. Where did he go? It seems like he'd be <laughs> hard to hide. So we don't have them here. Maybe it's where Lashley gets turned down by the Street Profits. They're fooling around with them. They are popular with the WWE fans. I assume they sell merch. So maybe then you get a new Hurt Business going at it with the Street Profits. Where did you come up with that? On the street. Oh, all right. Well, is that the word on the street? Not really. 
Charlotte and Bianca wrestled Cruella and Chelsea. And they did a finish where Charlotte stole the victory from Bianca, which was a good idea because of their issue. But the execution was on Chelsea's part because it was one of those, oh, everybody's got to run around for a minute. And uh, any comments on that? It was all right. I actually think Chelsea Green's pretty good. I've been getting a kick out of her lately. Ah, she's green to me. Well, that's her name. What's her name? Chelsea Green. Well, she's very green. That's what I said. You know, strange as it seems, they give these wrestlers strange names these days. Now, we've got Greenhorn on first base. All right, anyway. So L.A. Knight was in the back with Adam Pearce, and he's hot about not being in the U.S. title match at SummerSlam, and so are we. And then the brawling brutes confront him, and L.A. and Seamus argue. So apparently out of this, both of them are in a single match next week, and they're both in the SummerSlam Battle Royal. Remember we mentioned that a little while ago on the SummerSlam preview. <laughs> Why did they... Seamus is a babyface, right? Seamus, and yes, he has been, I believe. So why do, they want to, why do they want to book him against a guy they're going to fucking cheer and boo him out of the building? I don't know. I don't. Anyway, Karrion uh, Cross beat Carl Anderson in a couple minutes. And then we got to the main event, which I forgot to mention happened earlier in the back when Grayson Waller was annoying... Jey Uso like he annoys all of us and Jey Uso hit him with the the old anchor punch that Cassius Clay before he became Muhammad Ali learned from one of the old time boxers I believe it was Jack Johnson into how he hit Sonny Liston in Lewiston Maine when Liston did the took the dive because he was mobbed up and just wanted to get out of there because he hit him with a punch that Grayson Waller sold the shit out of. It didn't come within fucking six inches of his face. And that was in the back earlier. So as a result of this, they're going to fight. Jay Uso and Grayson Waller was the main event. They are testing <laughs> the bloodline angle here. And can I just mention, Brian, before you tell me what you thought of this, that Grayson Waller looks completely ridiculous. He looks, he's got a CPA's haircut, a pale physique that's not really a physique. He's, it looks like he's wearing women's fucking gym shorts and tennis shoes. Did you just see the visual state of him? Obviously, they're high on him and they put him in this main event. After. Obviously, they're high. Obvi well, I don't know. Who knows what's going on up there? But they like him a lot. I don't see it to that level. And like you said, the gear, the look, it doesn't do it for me. The other puzzling thing is, I've seen a few things now. Why are they teasing this guy and The Rock? Yeah. <laughs> He's going to come back and feud with this guy or have a match with this guy? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fucking sure that was just something on Twitter. Rock may have been in a benevolent moment. Uh, I, yeah, there was I a camera there. Of course he was. Well, I can't. Did he give him a truck? I can't imagine that 
Rock will return to face Grayson Waller. So we'll stay tuned on that one. But they went two minutes. And then uh, Roman and Paul and Solo came out and they went to the break and then they came back and they watched for the rest of the match. And, you know, it, it looked like Jey Uso wrestling a, a kid maybe from the boxing team at the local reform school. It was let out on a day pass. I don't know what this fucking guy is. And then basically Uso beat Waller with a spear and a splash and then Solo jumped in and jumped Jay. And went for the spike. And Jay ducked and super kicked him. And Roman came in. And that this was a nice little duck do do thing where Jay speared Roman and got a huge pop. And Uso went to the top to go for the splash. Solo pushed him off, hit the rock bottom on him. Roman got up. And they grabbed him and hit a spear-spike combination. And then Roman trash-talked him some, and then they called an audible and picked him up and gave him another spear and spike combination. And that's why I say if, if Jay does 10-minute interviews when he's standing in the ring with Solo anymore, I'm wondering about the boy's judgment. But what did you think, young Brian? Didn't care about the match until, like, the finish, and the fans really got into Jey Uso winning. And then you get all the bloodline stuff, and it's really... The payoff, that 90 seconds is the payoff of the entire show. And you got a big pop for when he hit the spear on Roman. And then I'm sure we'll see them all talk again next week about all their problems <laughs> with each other. <laughs> but, it, I mean, you know, they've almost got, if they could get one or two other things that are as over as the bloodline deal, then they could fulfill Vince's dream and Kevin Dunn's dream and all of the dreams of all the people that they've hired to work in the office there for the past 40 years and completely get rid of the fucking wrestling. It'll be right around the time they completely get rid of Kevin Dunn and Vince. I think they're going to computer generate the wrestling going forward. They're just going to have the, the fucking boys go out and do the acting and then their computer generated uh, uh, fucking protégés will actually have the fights. This is our computer-generated AI, Kevin Dunn. Uh, the code name is The Teeth. And uh, this <laughs> work. Anyway, so we don't have ratings for that program because it's the weekend. And so what we're going to do is we're going to goddamn come back on uh, your show this week and, and figure out whether anybody watched SmackDown or not. We assume it's over 2 million people because that's what they've been doing. And Roman's there. And Roman's there, so you got that going for you. All right, well... What do you got going for you this week on the Arcadian Vanguard Network? This is one of those moments where there's so much background noise, I can't tell if it's driving me crazy personally in my head or if it's so bad that Jace is going to be like, what the fuck, why didn't you stop I, the look, recording? Stop talking, stop talking and just be quiet. I'm listening. I can't hear a goddamn thing over there. Well, you're old. I mean, what are you going to hear? Hey! You're, you're just complaining about your headphones. Yeah, I've had bad hearing for 20 years. It's not because I'm old. It's because I got hit by lightning and had pyro go off in my fucking head. Oh, so, so now you've admitted to the court that you have bad hearing, and it's because you've been hit by lightning and because well, of but pyro. I'm, I'm, I got the headphones on, so I can listen real close. All right, well, this week, news about all the shows on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook. 
at facebook.com slash Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, the wrestling news. Every day, get your free daily wrestling newscast. No paywall, no clickbait, just the wrestling news. Get it directly from thewrestlingnews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguards, the wrestling news. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, the membership. Uh, oh, is that yeah. LA night? Is that, is that LA night? Yeah, it's LA night, baby. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Mr. Knight, for the endorsement. Go through the archive today, 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite shows. And of course, check out all the Arcadian Vanguard shows. A lot of shows looking at 1983 lately would stick to wrestling with John McAdam. And of course, check out Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon and a new episode of the Mid Atlantic Championship podcast out right now. And don't forget about the membership! Hi, see, I took you by surprise. You didn't have a backup one ready. Well, I've always got one in the chamber, baby. All right, well. All right, should we time travel to go to Collision, the program that we actually look forward to watching out of all of them every week? Well, while the mothership is here, why don't we hop on and we'll just go around the planet a few times and come back and Hulk Hogan-style travel through time. We are in the future, miraculously. <laughs> God, I, I didn't know it would be so simple. It's got to be more difficult going into the past. Can we try that next week? Yeah. All right. Dope. So. Dope in space. Was it collision or was it more of a fender bender? What have they done to our show? Was it one of those nights last night, one of those crazy old nights when you find out, pretty mama, what turns off your running lights? Randy Miser didn't sing that song. No, he didn't. They didn't have that show either. They didn't name that tune. What was going on with Collision last night? Well, before we get going, was there anything you liked on Collision? There was. So there you go. You got something you liked. Let's start with the <laughs> positives and work our way back. There wasn't as much. <laughs> Did you get a promo you liked? Did you get a match you liked? Well, yeah, I got one of each. See? Just barely. This is 2023. That's a win. All right. July 29th is the date of this thing. And again, they were at the Hartford Civic Center. And we got a... Uh, we got an email of someone who attended, and the only thing that they didn't mention was the attendance, was the crowd size. But I've been to the Hartford Civic Center. It was the site of WrestleMania 1995, right? It's, again, it's got to be 15,000, 16,000 seats, right? I don't have my book in front of me. I could look it up, but it's a big fucking building. And what I saw was a very darkened, Upper deck, a stage blocking one end off. Why are they going to buildings this size if they're only putting, filling a, a, a fourth to a third of the seats is what I'm asking. It's because it at some point, it not only, it starts having a detrimental effect on the boys' confidence. When I remember the same thing happening when we went, Crockett was running sellouts almost everywhere and then he started buying those territories and we were either in 
Kansas City or we were somewhere in Florida or we were in the Mid-South territory, what was left of it, and there was a fucking fourth of a house, and we're, uh. And also people send the pictures around to make mockery of them on X or Twitter or whatever the fuck they're calling it today. Hey, Jim, to answer your question, I have something here. Apparently this is from WrestleTix. AEW collision at the XL Center in Hartford, Connecticut. As of, according to this article, as of this morning, so as of, I guess, when the show ended, 4,763 tickets sold. Okay, ouch. Um, and the email we got from Nathan uh, said that somebody at AEW must have gotten the message that their ticket prices were way too high and they've taken steps to correct it. I was seated near the hard camera in the second row of the stands behind the floor seats. My ticket was $50. Tickets higher up in the stands were as low as 20 And he says there were a lot more wives, girlfriends, children, and grandparents than you would typically see at an AEW show. Apparently, there's not a lot more of anybody than you would typically see. But somebody mentioned that WWE's deal with the building limited the time window in which AEW was allowed to promote and sell the event. Oh, there you go. That's the WWE I know and love. There you go. Um, also, uh, Nathan says people were chanting for L.A. Knight and yelling his catchphrases all night. Hmm. What does that tell you about how over someone is when they're chanting their name at another company's show? Well, and normally I would say these people are just confused and they think all wrestling is WWE, but you don't just stumble into an AEW show. You have to make a fucking firm commitment that you want to be there, right? And he said they did ROH matches before and afterwards. Um, they keep the people in the arena entertained a little better in AEW than the WWE, where the pe- the talent in the ring just stands there mute. And then apparently MJF and FTR did a promo loving each other after they'd gone off the air. FTR or MJF put them over. They all toasted each other and had pizza and tequila. <laughs> That's paper. You know, you could have recycled it. You could keep it. You could do so many different things with it. I'm going to burn it. Why? Where? I'm going to... In your backyard, if you don't fucking leave me alone. Uh, so anyway, on Collision, July 29th, we had Elton John play. We had heard from Darby and MJF and Adam Cole and FTR about their situations tonight. Well, Darby's going to fight anybody. He doesn't know he's going to fight yet. And then we start out with a ladder match between Andrade and Buddy with Julia Hart. And I like Buddy. Buddy's my favorite one of the bunch of them. I've mentioned that. Great physique. Great athleticism looks like he can work horrible name lost in a group andre has been good lately looks like he's in shape making a commitment so they got to put him in a fucking ladder match that we see constantly everywhere all the time i thought this show was different but perhaps i'm thinking they'll have a ladder match instead of the the WWE or rest of AEW style six ladder matches or six ladders in the match and furniture and tables and chaos and Volkswagens. No, they didn't. 
There were multiple ladders around the ring, and of course they've got to get Andre's mask that he wears to the ring and then takes off of his own volition. But they stole it, and he wants it back, so somehow instead of just going to goddamn local authorities, they've agreed to hang it up over the ring. So they started back and forth. It was a slobber knocker, and they were fucking laying it in. And I would have liked to have seen a match between these two guys. But within a very short order, Andre slid three ladders in the ring and started setting them up. So, of course, Buddy had time to take over. But then they started trying to kind of have a wrestling match, but the ladders are all in the way, so they couldn't take any bumps or do much. And then they started hitting each other with the ladders. And then Buddy rolled out on the floor selling his left arm and went to see the doctor, and that's their break spot. But when they came back, and for the rest of the match, apparently his arm was not broken. So are they allowed now to just just jump out and go see the doctor if they think they're hurt in a fight? Can you do that in the UFC? Hold on, I just you kicked my head in here, so I'm just going to hop out of the cage and go check with the doctor. They're in commercial anyway. I'll come back and keep fighting here in a minute. I think they did say, what did they say, that they adjusted his shoulder during the commercial break? Yeah, I'm, I'm adjusting something right now in their honor. Uh-oh. <clears throat> so anyway, then they came back from the, the break, and Buddy was bashing... Andre into everything on the floor and then pulled another ladder out from under the ring. They already had three or four around the rings. They pulled another ladder out from under the ring and set it between the apron of the ring and the announce desk. And then they got up on the apron and did the deal where they fight in quotation marks, teasing that somebody's going to fall on the fucking ladder in a contrived fashion, way past point where. You just get it over with. And then finally, they both fell on the ladder. And it looked like it about killed both of them. And then Buddy pulled out a table. A table in a ladder match. Why didn't they just have a table match? And he put it in the ring, and I started fast-forwarding. And then I see them up on the ladder. So I stopped thinking, well, maybe they're almost at the finish here. And Andre did a sunset flip power bomb on Buddy off of a ladder on the floor onto another ladder propped onto, I don't know. I said, fuck it, I'm done. Uh, zipped for, there were handcuffs and bolt cutters and Andre climbed the ladder with Julia Hart on his back and then he pushed her off onto Buddy and got the mask. And... We were 23 minutes into the program before this fiasco had come to an end. You can see that on any television program, wrestling program, on the air anywhere. You can see this shit. See the ladders and the tables and the goofiness. Collision has been setting a different tone. It's something that the Mid-South wrestling fans or the Mid-Atlantic wrestling fans in the Carolinas, Virginia, the Mid-South area could tune into and enjoy and watch and respect and not laugh at and make fun of. You know, coincidentally enough, what set that tone, one of the things that did was Andrade versus Buddy Matthews 
having a singles match because it was two guys, one guy you hadn't seen in a long time, one guy had been used like crap on Dynamite, and had a kick-ass match, went a while, got the fans into it. It's one of the first matches ever on the show. That's right. And now we went to Dynamite. That's the problem. You don't want... I'm not saying you can never have a ladder match or anything, because this is modern wrestling. You can't be stupid, but over this mask that another guy in the group stole, and he's not even there. And the, like, Why? This is like an unnecessary, let's rush to a ladder match in my eyes. And But if you're going to have a ladder match, why can't somebody actually have a ladder match now in some company? A ladder match. Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon still had the fucking best one before they started changing and modifying and got a budget, added more ladders and blah, blah, blah. Put a ladder out on the floor and the first one that can get the ladder and set it up and get the fucking, usually a belt, maybe a check. Masks are a little, now we're getting a little ha-ha. Wins the fucking match. There's no furniture involved because you've already got a gimmick. You're not putting a hat on a hat. And you don't need six ladders because you can only climb one at a time. That was the ladder match. That made sense. You could work that. You could still have a wrestling match and still do that shit. But you can't with all of this gaga. It's fucking ridiculous. And the bumps. The power bomb. Off the ladder onto another ladder was not the finish. They hadn't even got to the handcuffs and the bolt cutters. The fuck? But that was the problem. I asked you at the top of this review, did you get a good promo? Did you get a good match? We did. But there were a lot of elements of dynamite on yeah. this show. A lot of things that just felt like they didn't need to be here. Then, speaking of dynamite... They go to the back, and Miro is going to have a backstage interview, and before he says a goddamn word, Solo, not Sikoa, but Aaron, shows up and hits him with a fucking chair, and he just turns around and beats the shit out of Aaron Solo. And I wrote, I think Tony Khan showed up tonight. What... <laughs> That's what we needed from Miro to reintroduce him to the fans. A feud with QT's people. Are you kidding me? Even though we, Miro versus what? Powerhouse Hobbs has potential for something, unless it has all of the QT faction involved. Where was this guy with the chair that he just walked right in and what? Yes, Miro. within seconds. Of the, <laughs> he just materialized there. And besides that, this can't be a feud because Miro has already been picking his teeth with people that are bigger and more impressive than fucking Aaron Solo. So, anyway, next, Darby Allen had said he wanted to fight anybody. And it was a surprise to everybody when out came Minoru Suzuki. Minoru, Minoru Grandpa Suzuki. Surprise! And so, here comes this fucking... Japanese Fabergé egg that everybody is afraid to fucking touch for fear they'll either hurt him or he'll kill them because he's real. But he he looks far, the, the farthest thing from real because he's broken down and everything he does looks phony and he doesn't sell anything because he's supposed to be tough, which he is really, but he doesn't show it. Because he looks ridiculous. So, 
And since these fans like him, now Darby, one of their most sympathetic underdog babyfaces, is wrestling a guy that they don't want to boo. So Darby jump starts the match with a drop kick and then the bullet dive to the floor where he went right past Suzuki and landed on his own head and then got right back up. And then he sits, he sits Suzuki in a chair on the floor, bites his head, drop kicks him off the apron in the chair and then throws him in the ring and then the referee rings the bell to start to match. And I wrote, why is Darby Allen working like the Sheik? Why did he say he's biting the guy on the head? He's fucking jumping him before the bell. He's fucking using all. And then again, working with Suzuki is, is like working with a corpse in the advanced stages of rigor mortis. He can't even fucking bend. <laughs> And all he does is make faces and not sell anything that Darby hits him with. And so all of Darby shit looks fake also because he's afraid to really hit him hard because he's a legend. And so it looks ridiculous for a cool young baby face to be being manhandled and trivialized by this immobile 50-something-year-old guy. Just a guy. He just looks like a fucking guy with a weird haircut. And then they did the thing where they stood there and allowed the other to hit him. But Suzuki not only wasn't selling, wasn't even registering. Wasn't even flinching. But every time he would hit Darby, Darby'd go down. And then finally, Suzuki gets a fucking sleeper. And Darby rolls backwards one, two, three. And he barely beat an AARP member that looks like one of those old goddamn Stretch Armstrongs who got left in a hot attic. Your thoughts? Well, after all that, I don't even know what to say. There was <laughs> a few new ones there. Um, I was surprised. They got me with the surprise. I mean, I would think if they had him here in the States and they were big fans of New Japan, you may want to announce that kind of person would be there <laughs> to get more people than you know, 4,000 plus into the building. I don't know how many. Do you really think it would have made a, a legitimate significant difference? It may cause a few fans to get in a car from New York and drive up. Yeah, of course. A significant difference? I don't know. But I am someone who used to like Minoru Suzuki, and I think he rides a lot on the nostalgia that people feel for what he was or what his reputation is or what they imagine he is. But the same, a lot of the same stuff like, that I hate about Moxley is with Suzuki. With Suzuki, it makes a little more sense. He's an older guy. But like just the salt, like I know he's a badass, but when he stands there and he throws the forearm, it looks like crap. Yes. And I know stuff that looks like crap hurts sometimes. It looks like it doesn't hurt either. Yes. So no, this like is not one of those old <laughs> old timer, you know, looks like shit and hurts. It looks like shit and looks fake. So how I, old is Minoru Suzuki? How old do you right think now? he is? How old do you think he is? I'm going to say he's he's got to be 52. 55. Ho! Oh, okay. Ho! Oh, that's a new one, not ha! Ho! Oh. All right, and you were there and you saw him. Bullet Bob Armstrong. When he was 53 years old. 
And he was working the big matches in Smoky Mountain Wrestling against Terry Funk or against whoever the fuck he was working with. Wow, that's crazy. He was only 53? He was younger than Suzuki is now, but his fucking arms were 22 inches. His chest was massive. And you mean to tell me that you, can you honestly, having seen Bob Armstrong at that age and Minoru Suzuki right now, Armstrong looked like he was 30 years younger. I don't know if I'm going to say 30 years. That's a big... How about 15? Maybe. I mean, maybe. I'm surprised. I actually thought... Bob... How about Bob Armstrong <laughs> looked like he could kick the shit out of the current Minoru Suzuki at the same age? I never thought about Bob Armstrong's age back then, other than he was old. And to hear you say this now, I thought, without thinking about it, I would have thought he was in his 60s back then. I didn't realize he was only in his 50s. He had, because, okay, hold on. He was, um, boom, 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 6, 7, 40, that would be, yes. Yeah, he was like 52. Wow. Because he and, he and Terry very close the same age. You know, it's, sometimes it's hard to believe just how long ago it is. I guess that's what's throwing me off just in terms of these ages. Wow. Well, anyway, so it, it's not the age, it's the person. And I'm not being ageist. I'm saying if, if, if you can't do what you're supposed to be doing better than this guy is doing it, you shouldn't be on national television. Here's the other thing to go back to that email you were talking about earlier, Hartford, Connecticut, you know, again, every, even though it's a national promotion, every area is different and every fan base is different. Look at the reactions FTR has gotten at different places recently. But with Suzuki, if this audience really had grandparents, girlfriends, families, kids, and this guy who's barely on their TV show just all of a sudden walks out. They don't know who he is. They have no idea who he is. They think he's a Japanese cowboy because he's bow-legged. Anyway, the next match was Samoa Joe fighting Gravity. I like this. <laughs> I did like this. Gravity. It was a good win for Joe, three minutes or whatever, if that, Muscle Buster, one, two, three. And again, I think guys should get good, especially badass, dominant guys like Joe should get good wins. And it just it didn't help this show because it hadn't been that great so far. It was interesting, though. We first heard about this guy because he worked a Ring of Honor pay-per-view and he beat, I think, Commander. And then they brought him to Dynamite and he lost the pack. Didn't look that spectacular. Here, Joe just killed him. <laughs> but anytime he did anything, the fans rejected it. You know, again, we're talking about different fan bases. AEW fans, most AEW fans, I think, may be different there. Even though they like Joe, they wouldn't just boo if someone did something to him. These people wanted Joe to kill this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Third match in, in AEW. So the law of gravity was repealed very quickly. And then finally, 50 minutes into the show, Tony Schiavone was in the ring. Like Mussolini! About goddamn time. Here came Punk to the ring, carrying his bag in his hand. And he got the Punk chance. Connecticut likes stars. California likes kids. But there were booers also. He played with some of them. Uh, he stopped Tony from uh, asking his questions so that they could hear the, the booze settle in. 
And, uh, you know, he made a remark, and I realized he was the first goddamn human being on their television to mention Wembley Stadium, wasn't he? We've been following this on the internet. I hadn't realized that, and until he said it, I'd never realized that no one had brought it up because we've been talking about it, but that's an interesting thing, isn't it? And it's been on the internet, and it's been reported on Twitter and on all the wrestling sites, and we've talked about it because they've talked about it, but they've never actually, have they even had the announcers on the show say, hey, by the way, we're running a show and we've sold 70,000 tickets. Isn't this Vince's biggest dream to sell all these tickets without announcing any matches? Yes. And it'll never happen again, probably in in history ever going forward for any wrestling promotion that that you would sell this many tickets for a show this far out they don't even know what they're going to fucking see yet yeah no no wrestler could say they're a drawing card here unless they do wrestlemania uh and do it in in such a building where they can sell more tickets i don't you know i don't see that's ever going to fucking happen again but nevertheless wembley stadium two nights that's how it'll happen Oh, there you go. And Jesus Christ. And then it'll be five hours a night. All right. Well, speaking of which, let's get back over here to Mussolini. In the afternoon. But yeah, go ahead. Well, that's better, at least. Um, So he mentioned Wembley and then started talking about Ricky Starks and how he's cheating. Cheating. He's how he's cheated or beaten one or the other. Beaten Punk twice by cheating. Cheating. And... Punk said, sometimes you got to wake up and do what you don't want to do because you're the responsible adult in the room. And so he's brought the bag out. And what's in the bag? I'm not no more Mr. Nice Guy. Pulls out the AEW belt and declares himself, and we knew this was coming, and it's obviously the natural thing to do. He declares himself the real AEW world champion. I beat John Moxley for this, and nobody has pinned me or submitted me since then. I'm, I'm the real champion. This is mine. And he sprayed the black X on the belt as the symbol that he's straight edge, and that means he's better than you. I wonder who else says stuff like that. So that's minor you know, threat. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm just saying that's obviously what they're leading to because that's what everybody wants to see eventually, but it's subtle and it'll take a while. But he's the real world champion. What were you going to say? Uh, nothing. Did you notice that he put the X over the E, <laughs> which is elite, so it's now all X wrestling. <laughs> anyway, here comes Ricky Starks, who, and it was cute. He came out. On his own, but then he stopped and called for his entrance music so he'd get his full entrance, like a heel would do. Or maybe even a coggy baby face. And then Starks comes to the ring and says that Punk would have done the same thing that he did. He would have cheated. He would have won the thing by any means necessary, whatever. And he thinks, Starks does, that the belt ought to be his because he beat Punk twice, so he's the real world champion. And they argued back and forth and agreed finally they're going to settle this thing. And Punk said, "I we, we got to have a special referee to make sure I don't get jobbed again, you know, by the referee missing some shit if I'm going to defend the title against you. And Stark says, okay. And then they shake hands on it. 
And next week in Greenville, South Carolina, the special guest referee is going to be Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I'm waiting for you to cheer. Yay! I'm, I'm supposed to Clap. cheer? All right, Dragon! No Bonnie! Yeah! <laughs> My Bonnie lies over the ocean. Um, <laughs> My Bonnie also, lies over the sea. I can keep going. My my body lies over the lawyer. Bring back half my money to me. So it's Greenville, South Carolina. Steamboat's going to be over like crazy, and he's in shape, and he'll do, move around and do a good job. And I'm pretty sure Punk is going to retain this thing. And uh, so at least we got a we got a little special attraction there next week. And that was the promo segment that you mentioned or that you asked me if I liked, and I said, yeah, there was one, and that was it. I thought it was great. You wait for stuff like this. You wait for that kind of energy. Punk gets this weird energy now in every room he's in. Sometimes there are more punk fans. Sometimes there are more punk booers. It's always energetic. He excels in this kind of environment for a promo better than most people, and it feels more real, more like genuine anger or <laughs> frustration coming from someone. Uh, the belt thing, we'll see how it plays out. If it leads to an eventual merger of the world championship, which you think you would think that's where they were going, it makes sense. If not, it's the new FTW championship, so we have to be careful there. I don't think he's going to bring out the new FD, FTW or FDW, FDW. or FDR. Yes. Uh, I don't think he's going to bring that one out. He wouldn't bring it out unless it was going to be central to the ongoing situation beyond all that i thought the story was ricky starks did great as a heel even though you know it's a mixed audience i thought he was more heel than anything else going back and forth with punk it worked and he worked standing there with him and that's one of those things you look for how do they how do they how does it look and how does it feel when they're standing there doing a promo back and forth and i thought it was great yeah so th we got that now we're over an hour in, and the next match is Darius Martin, Action Andretti, and Viking O against the Gun Boys and Juice Robinson with a cardboard cutout of Jay White. Did he miss a plane? What happened? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, the heels won here. Surprise, surprise. And then Mercedes Martinez wrestled Kiera Hogan. And I wrote, it's a rib now. Please bring my show back to me. And then the main event for the tag team title, FTR against MJF and Adam Cole. And I think you know, I think we've made mention plenty enough I'm a fan of all four of these guys in some form or fashion. I'm not a fan of this issue that has brought them all together. Is that a fair just summation? That is. Okay. And when they have dueling chants going back and forth, I think back, and would Dusty Rhodes have put the Rock and Roll Express in a position in the Greensboro Coliseum that one fan in that arena would be tempted to boo them? Unless they were just an asshole and we're going to do it no matter what. I've even seen some comments on Twitter that you know they, they think FTR is the heel team. 
Well, actually, kind of not, because FTR has been the ones that they cheer for and chant for for months now and get big pops and want to see in matches until they've been put in a position to be opposite the ring from the world champion who is a heel, but has suddenly, for the purpose of this exercise, become the most pandering babyface and entertaining personality in the whole company and adam cole's along for that ride because he's you know the 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 straight man and so ftr are the baby faces but the heels in this equation the half heels are still the baby faces over the baby faces who are now becoming the unpopular people because the fans booed the babyface tag team for blocking the double illegal double clothesline from the other team. So I, this is just it. They've got them all in such a fucking state where nobody is reacting to people in either company the way that they're, they ought to be to put this match together and make anything fucking work. I think FTR are the heels here. FTR worked like heels. FTR got booed. Yes. FTR yes. working with the top babyface tag team right now. Who? They and one heels. half of the top babyface tag team is the top heel. Yeah. I, 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 and MJF works the people like Hogan, and it's fucking cute. I don't know, but um, there was wrestling, and there was Gaga. MJF and Dax did some wrestling, and then MJF did the leapfrog, hurt the leg, fake out spot. And then. When he took over, as a result of that, he milked kicking one of the babyface team in the balls, and the people were, oh, yes, do it, kick him in the balls. And then their break spot was tempers flaring and everybody shoving everybody. And they got some heat on MJF, and MJF hit a better hot tag than any babyface that you see in modern wrestling because he knew he had to drop the fucking both the heels but be unable to capitalize and then duck and dodge and dive and get it and adam cole made the comeback and they went back they then they all started going back and forth with the false finishes ftr hit the superplex splash for a two count um dax let adam cole tag mjf because he wanted him in there so they could do the slug and chop fest and nice back and forth and then MJF kicks <laughs> kicks Dax in the balls, and the place comes apart. Yes, he kicked him in the balls. Well, they were chanting for that earlier. Yes. So they finally got what they were chanting for. Kick him in the balls. They used to chant that all the time to Tully, right? Kick Magnum in the balls. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about Baby Doll. No. He couldn't kick Baby Doll in the balls. Baby Doll would have beat his ass for it. Well, plus she was too tall. He couldn't. That's that's true. That his, well, when he was younger, he was more he was more limber. But anyway, finally, they're ready to give the Shatter Machine, Big Rig, whatever they're calling it this week, to Adam Cole. But MJF pushes Adam Cole out of the way and foils the Big Rig, but gets rolled up by Dax. One, two, three. And FTR retains, and then there's MJF in the fucking corner. And Adam gets up and shakes hands with FTR, and 
he's fine, but MJF's in the corner crying that he blew it. And he's screaming, I blew it, I blew it, I ruined it. What was he saying? Was he saying I lost the match or I lost my edge? Yeah. I couldn't no, tell. No, I lost the match. Okay. I lost the match. I haven't played it back, but I couldn't tell. I yeah. actually thought the first time I heard it, you said I lost my edge, which makes no, sense, No, he, he, still, he still works for the other promotion. He won't be in for a couple of years. <laughs> so, but he's crying and he's, I, I blew it. I lost the match. And Adam comes over and consoles him and hands MJF MJF's world title belt. Here you go. Here you go. You got this. And then he turns his back on MJF. And MJF stands up and looks like he wants to hit Adam Cole from behind. And they've got the artistic camera shot. So you're looking from Adam Cole's face and over his shoulder to MJF behind him with that belt. Should I? He's thinking about it. And Adam says, go ahead. Do whatever you need to do. He just puts his arms out. And MJF throws the belt down, and they both hug to big cheers from the audience. Wrestlers don't like when other wrestlers steal their finishers. Should the best friends be upset right now? No, because they're not wrestlers. But should we be upset that how long is this going to go on? That is, is, they've rerouted the fucking AEW River here. And and this is that's a that is the greatest way to look at it that I've heard. Well, yes, they've completely rerouted the river. They've taken the world champion and put him in a tag team thing, but to get to to either get to or swerve into joining him, Adam Cole. But Adam's going to look like a dipshit if he does get turned on. And in the meantime, MJF is the most popular person in the company. And he's supposed to be the one who's supposed to draw money against all the top baby faces. So I don't know what's going on. I'll say something that I didn't think I would say a while ago, but watching the way things have played out, which is very different than how things played out after All Out, for instance. I think they should ride MJF as a babyface right now. That's what he is. That's the reactions he's getting. He's selling merch. I know it's always been a popular WWE metric to look at. I don't know if AEW pays the same kind of attention. But if you have this moment right now, and we said it last time, and luckily a lot of people have kind of forgotten about it, but you don't want them to turn back and forth too many times. Right. And right now, whatever they were going to do with Adam Cole, and maybe this was their goal, maybe it wasn't. But this is the reaction it's gotten. And you're getting the fans going crazy during their matches, chanting things. I think you got to ride this. And I think also, you know, this match reminded me in a lot of ways of uh, Midnight Express versus Wyndham and Flair at Clash of Champions. Because in this match, you had no disrespect to Adam Cole, but he hasn't been active too much. And also, you know, we need to see a little bit more right now. But between MJF and Dax and Cash, you have three of the best workers in the entire business. Well, and also you have a, a tag team specialist against two primarily singles guys. So that was a comparison also, but I see where you're going. But the best in-ring talent in the business, the smartest in-ring workers in the business in there together. And I thought it was a great match. And I think, again, the fans are going to react like this. If the booing of FTR stops once they're done with this and they move on to something else, then you do something else. But 
The other thing you got to pay attention to, and I've been saying it, FTR, I think it better situated as heels. And I think it may be becoming something that's forced upon them too, but we'll see. Well then, but then does Jen and Juice have to switch babyface because we still want to see more FTR and them. We and need the who third else? match. We need the third match. Yeah. That's right. And who, who else does FTR have to work with in main event world title tag team matches? What other... What other teams? Tams. What other teams are there? Uh, Proud and Powerful. Who? San- what? Santana and Ortiz. Okay. Probably not right now. You know, look, the Young Bucks yeah, isn't yeah. going to happen right now, and obviously, why would it happen right now? Um, the Best Friends, no. Aussie Baby open. faces or heels. Aussie Open. That we really want to see that's going to draw some money or get some viewers. There isn't a good tag team division. There are good top people in AEW in various places, but there aren't good divisions in any place. So that's what I'm saying. You know, maybe they could turn heel, but are they going to have anybody to work with if they turn heel? They can't, They shouldn't just turn heel for the sake of doing it. I agree with that. I agree and with that. so they need, there needs to be jealousy on their part from another team that may come in and steal their thunder but will that be mjf and adam cole but they can't turn heel on those guys because they already (laughs) and besides that mjf either has to keep the world title or become a tag team guy and uh, and again we don't know how roddy gets involved with everything with mjf and cole if roddy joins them and we have at least three people in that group then you kind of have some (laughs) leeway about what happens there although the fans want to see cole and mjf so you're kind of they booked themselves into a pickle well and then he's already promised him he's going to give adam a match so something's going to happen there but how does anybody come out of this is what i'm saying and it's all happening it's sort of like they've they were wheeling the wheelbarrow downhill and now the wheelbarrow is wheeling them they're going with it but it's not what they intended to do originally. I wouldn't think. And one more thing on FTR. FTR came out of a great 2022 in those matches with the Briscoes specifically. And the thought from a lot of people was, what now? And then, of course, the tragic accident with Jay Briscoe. Obviously, that affected them too. But then they got put into that awful feud with Jeff Jarrett and his crew. And that did no one any favors. Since that time, they've reestablished why they're the best tag team in wrestling. The gin and juice stuff. And then even this match. This match was fantastic. This match was great and had the crowd going crazy. So FTR in the middle of another tag team of the year kind of run. We just need to figure out where all these people are going. <laughs> what happens when this is over? You know what? If we could put the bloodline on collision and keep MJF and Punk and FTR, we'd have a show. When's Wembley? End of uh, end of August. Correct? It's the end of okay. We're about to hit August, so I didn't know if it was mid-August. I don't remember. They never talk about it, so I didn't know when the date of it was. Well, they don't want to show off. That's the thing. You know, they don't want to brag or anything. They're humble and unassuming and lovable characters over there. They don't want to brag about their big exploits. Hey, before we wrap things up, uh, which I figure you're probably going to do momentarily. Yeah, I was about to say, is this your show? I'll tell you when I'm wrapping things up. I'm ready to wrap things up. What would you like to say? With Wembley having sold all these tickets, 
what kind of card do you put on? Do you put on dream matches or do you save them now that you don't need them because you don't need them to sell tickets? What do you do for that show? Well, I, w- I wouldn't have put on dream matches to begin with. I would have tried to come up with, in my mind, the eight or nine best matches in terms of my main event talent and who they would be most interesting and and would draw the most money, sell the most tickets, or get the most interest of viewership, however they're going to be broadcasting this thing. And I would, like like Dusty did Starcade or like Watts did a Superdome, or like Vince did a WrestleMania. My main guys, my big top talent in big matches that I can take two to three months to build, because that's when they announced it a couple months ago, right? And I wouldn't have worried about whether it's going to be goddamn seven stars in the ring. I would worry about whether I wanted a main event world title to change hands or a a big happening with one of my main stars to take place and I would put it on that show and I would have that happen in front of 80,000 fucking people and have it on video that it did. You're not just, even if you've sold the tickets, you want your, you can't sell out a pay-per-view. You can't sell out a live television special. How are we going to watch this? I don't fucking know. But if you got 80,000 people in a goddamn stadium watching your show, you better broadcast it around the world some way or another because that's the ultimate look how big my dick is moment. So I would want all my top guys in the best matches for my future programs, my future business, who I want to get over, who I want to be working with, and not worry about whether I can bring in Hiroshi Whistleblower to have a dream match with fucking, you know, the law of gravity and and fucking Generator Pete. So uh, that's what I would do. Like any other big show in history, just in front of more people. You don't think Generator Pete and the law of gravity would be kind of a conflict as of a tag team? The different styles and... I th- it, it is a clash of styles. I think that's why they should go back and work Impact some more to get their shit together. Generator Pete. Generator Pete. <laughs> well, this is your show. All right, well, we're done with all of that, but we'll come back on Brian's show in just a couple of days, the drive through And in the meantime and in between time, listen to us on YouTube. And thank you, fuck you, and bye-bye, everybody.